Hi, I'm Christopher Priest. I'm the writer of Deathstroke for DC Comics, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> flawless. Absolute perfect. Yeah, perfect. in execution. That was flawless. Mm-hmm. Now, that's weird, because it didn't... No, it's not weird. Uh, no, that was it. That was it. All right, no, that's fine. No, I mean that's that that's the keeper. But it 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 when it left me, it I felt the, the one. Of, I felt the first one was the strongest. But like you said, it may have broke up. But that's it's so. But listen, I'm only saying if you guys are hearing it. It's all good. Then that's that's all I care about. Nice. Hey, so let's play a quick game, Vince. It's I think Dap would know the answer, so I'm going to ask you. Quick game, okay? Okay. Dead, dead or alive? Ready? Wait, what are the rules? You gotta tell me if dead, dead or, or alive. alive. <laughs> oh, okay. I right. thought you maybe wanted me to kill someone or not. Nope. Nope. Well, that would be off air. Right. Uh, Dana Plato. Dead. My man. Gary Coleman. Dead. Todd Bridges. Alive. All perfect score. Yes. Nicely done. Joni. Aaron Moran. Dead. Yes. Unfortunately. Yes. Big Al. Who's Big Al? From Happy Days. From Happy Days. Oh, uh, like the owner of... Uh... Yeah. yeah. The, the big oh, guy. he's got to be dead. Yeah, he's dead. He was also... Was Pat uh, Morita took over after him, right? Yeah. Uh, other way around. He's still alive when... when oh, um... other way around, right. Oh, was... Oh. Um, but he used to, he, he also did... Uh, he used to do commercials. Not for, mm-hmm. was it not for paper towels. What the hell was it for? I remember seeing him on... on, on <laughs> Litter. <National Spot>. <laughs> Littering. <laughs> He was no, the, that's the Italian. <laughs> he was the Sicilian Indian, Indian yeah. <laughs> who, who replaced uh, Who replaced Ron Howard as the lead male actor in Happy Days? Oh, oh. that Ted McGinley. Yeah, yeah. I never remember <laughs> the his King name. Of replacement. Yes, Revenge of the Nerds. He was fucking. He was Steve's replacement on Married with Children. Love Boat. God, Married with Children. <laughs> Dashing man, but. Unfortunate yeah, dude, but always the replacement. Yeah, unfortunate career. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. Was it like he was? We he's a household name. We know him, and he he seemingly worked for a good twenty five thirty years without yeah without fail. So no, I mean respect, but he stacked up. Right. He's not. Yeah, he's not. It, he's not. He's not Robert Wagner. He's not you know, <laughs> Robert Urich. He's 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 still. He's not the guy who showed up the first time. He wasn't. He wasn't the guy at the top of the call sheet. Like we're making this show for him. He's the guy who's like, all right, the show is still needs to be made. We need somebody to fill in for someone else while we ride this train into the ground. That's where Ted comes in. But he does his job well, and and like you said, we do know him, and we know him because he of what he does. I couldn't really probably. I couldn't tell you any quotes from any of the shows that, that that he came in on. I couldn't tell you any Happy Days quotes. I couldn't tell you any any Married with Children quotes when when he came on. I just know he was there. Right, sure. Yeah, we've just made history. <laughs> we did. Yes, that was probably the longest investigation <laughs> into the career of Ted McGinley ever. I'm I'm sure there was an E True Hollywood story about Ted McGinley. I don't know. It was an E True Hollywood story. We'll see. Hey, everybody. <laughs> What's up? It's, way to start. it's eleven o'clock comics. All, all these people that learned about us for the first time with Remender, and they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna come back for a regular episode." And they're like, "I'm out." <laughs> uh, unless it's Ted McGinley. It's true. Uh, hey, everybody. 
It's a eleven o'clock comics episode six hundred and sixty-eight. You're you're a damn. You're a we should damn, get a for book of the month next week. Da- we should get we should get a replacement. Is what we should get. It's eleven o'clock yeah, comics ep- episode six hundred and sixty-eight, and I'm Vince P. It is still six sixty-eight. Holy shit! Yeah, I guess it is. Um, only because I just recently not still. I just because I I, I updated the Slack reading channel and and that that number. It feels like that number's been around. For a minute, but that's also because this is our second episode of the week, and I am David A. Price. I can confirm that, and of course, I am David Landers, but you know me as Mastodon. <laughs> okay, you're not David. <laughs> you're not David Landers. You're Jason Wood, everybody. Together, sure, I'm nowhere near as hairy as uh, as Mastodon. I have very mm. little body hair. Yeah, you do. You're lucky. That is a gift, my friend. Take it from a Sicilian. That is a gift. <laughs> All right. We're not. Yeah. When you get into a swimming pool and you come out and you look like a Christmas tree, it's not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> I don't dislike my hairy chest, but yeah, there are like like on the shoulders and whatnot. I'm like, why? There's, I, don't, I don't need that there. But. No. But you know what you do need? What do I need? You need a stable, reliable source to get your comic books in bric-a-brac. Everyone needs this. And now... In these, <laughs> I won't say challenging, but uncertain times, there's really only one place to go, and that's Discount Comic Book Service. Stuff's brewing, and um, we'll see how it pans out. But they have been and remain to be your one-stop source for all the stuff that appears in the previews catalog. Now, whether or not that previews catalog is still going to be published, we don't know, but we'll see. Um, this is Dark Horse Month, oddly enough. <laughs> so I'm going to pitch three things that you, you may or may not see. That's how we do it here. Uh, number one, Barbalian, the Red Planet. Number one, it's a tie-in to the Black Hammer universe featuring the uh, Mark Marks, the uh, Barbalian in question, written by Tate Bromble, overseen by Mr. Lemire, probably. Uh, the art is by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. Wow, who did the vision with our buddy Tom King. This is big doing. Uh Cover price is three ninety nine. Your price, my friends, is a dollar ninety nine. Next up is Lady Baltimore, number one. The Mignola verse is expanding. This time around it's written by Mike Mignola and Christopher Golden, with art by Bridget Connell. And I can't say I'm familiar with her work, but we'll see. Uh cover artist is Abigail Larson. Cover price is three ninety nine. Your price is a dollar ninety nine. It's a trend. And last but uh, certainly not least. In our hearts, it's You Look Like Death. Tales from the Umbrella Academy, number one of six. Written by Gerard Way and Sean Simon. Art by I.N.J. Culbird. we got to find out how to really pronounce that. Do you say I.N.J. Culbird or is it Inj Culbard? Like, I don't even know, but whatever. Mm. Cover artist by, well, there's periods between it here, so, but I've seen it without the periods. I don't know, but they're all capped, so it just could be I.N.J. Culbard. I think Tony said that he either knows him or knows how to say it, didn't he? One time he was on, I don't know. May have may cover have. artist is Gabriel Ba. Woo! Uh, Three ninety nine cover price again. Trifecta. Your price one dollar ninety nine cents. If you want to see what's up, go to dcbservice.com. And the sale still going on? No. So you missed it. Missed a big sale. So you should have been on it, but. Uh, Maybe it'll happen again. You just keep an eye on that site, dcbservice.com. Nice. I put my order in this weekend. 
I uh, put mine in today. Nice. And talk about brain farts and makes me think I have early onset Alzheimer's. Trying to upload my order, and I'm, I do the Excel upload, so I'm adding the file. It's showing that I'm uploading it. I click it. It just blanks out. Nothing. doesn't say anything. I'm like, what the F? So try it three, four times. I'm thinking, is there something about the browser? So I switch to another browser. Try that. Nothing. So I hit Christina up. I'm like, I, I know you, you got a million things right now in your mind. So this is the least of your worries, but I, I, I don't think the upload's working. Then I realized I saved the file I was uploading was from the download folder, which was the raw file I downloaded. And the one with actually my order was always saved to Dropbox. So I was uploading an empty Excel file every time. It's all better now. Mark of the Devil. Yep. Mark of the Devil. Hey, can we do a quick shout out before we jump into the comics? Sure. Um, We mentioned last episode the uh, Creators for Comics, which is hashtag Creators number four comics. Uh, that was going on, which was put together by the uh, Bink Foundation, uh, which is independent booksellers, but specifically to benefit comic book retailers in the direct market who were suffering from the COVID-19 shutdown. And uh, it was an amazing uh, offering. Uh, Someone that was helping put the whole thing together ended up creating a a Google Sheet with all of the auctions so you could track them because it was pretty hard on Twitter to even keep track of the, of the ones you might have been personally interested in. And there were hundreds and hundreds of offerings. And they ranged from what you would expect, like a Jeff Lemire commission of your choice, right, at, to the highest bidder. But there were some pretty cool stuff, like uh, Kelly Sudeconic offered up the uh, flight jacket from uh, the Miss Marvel movie, or mm-hmm. Captain Marvel movie, um, signed by the whole cast and crew, which is pretty neat. And Bendis and Fraction and Kelly Sue offered up a a dinner with them, like a Zoom dinner, where you could just hang out for a couple hours and 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 uh, chat. You know, like just all different cool like things. Just just some um, some people offered uh, uh, writing script editing tutorials. Some offered uh, portfolio reviews. There was just a lot of different options for whatever kind of part of the fandom you're into. And um, as we mentioned last week, we uh, wanted to jump into the fray, so we offered up a guest appearance on the show to the worthy winner and i just wanted to shout out uh mr jeff bouchard who was the winner um so jeff's already sent me confirmation of his payment for his winning bid and uh, i reached out to him and we will be having him on he was super cool he said he's uh he's very open in terms of when we have him on you know in terms of like he's not saying i want to be on next week but uh he said just Keep him in the loop, but we'll have him on, I'm sure, in the next, let's say, month or so, I'm guessing, right? That makes sense. Probably, probably about, sounds about right. It works for and, me. Uh, yeah, so so first of all, thank you, Jeff, and also thank everyone else who, who bid. We had a bunch of people bidding. It was very flattering, and, and the money went to a great cause, I hope. Um, and Jeff's been a listener and a member of the EOC community for a long, long time, um, and we've never met him. He said he's, he's, he's hoped to have met us um, before, but hasn't come together. So uh, looking forward to it, and uh, hopefully it'll be a fun time with him uh, on the show. Nice. I have one, too, before we move on. Yeah. If you are a Kickstarter member, I want you to do something. I want you to type in Atomic Hercules, because the second issue of Tony Esmond and Adam Phelps' book is now up on the Kickstarter. It's already funded, which is crazy, crazy good, right? 
So um, the first one we talked about, phenomenal. Second one, we hope to be more of the same. Just keep an eye out. Go on the Kickstarter, Atomic Hercules, and support it because it's not one of those, oh, man, I got to spend $100 for this thing. It's the cheapness. You can get a good comic for a little bit of money here. So just support this worthwhile cause. Agreed. Yeah. All right, my friends. Comics, comics, comics. It's like Sunday freaking smash derby. Let's talk about them. Let's do it. Well, go ahead. Tell me what you got. Well, I introduced myself as David Landers for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born, as you gentlemen know, but uh, some of the listeners might not. I was born in 1974. So 1986, uh, which was a banner year for comics on a lot of levels, um, was really the first year I became a comic collector started going to an LCS uh, every week and started a pull list, the whole thing. It started really becoming a thing. And um, while a lot of folks were falling in love with the Watchmen and Dark Knight, uh, this young buck being a Marvel zombie was absolutely gobsmacked by the launch of something called the new universe. Hmm. And, um, as it were, I um, I remember at the time just being, I guess, probably taken by the hype of the whole thing. And I bought and read every New Universe book that came out under the imprint. Um, and many years later, I, I remember it fondly. I, I remember it as being something I enjoyed. I, I certainly wasn't perfect, and but I remember thinking, oh, I... I I thought that was pretty cool back in the day. And then, you know, as we got older and started kind of seeing the forest for the trees and you start hearing stories. And then I remember reading in the Marvel untold stories, um, the Marvel untold story, that book about how it was so controversial. It was Jim shooters baby. And then when he was ousted, uh, John Byrne and the creators had a, had a party at John Byrne's house where they lit a uh, stuffed scarecrow of Jim shooter on fire and they were stuffing new universe comics in it. And, uh, and eventually John Byrne, uh, in the new universe, uh, ends up having, uh, Pittsburgh destroyed, creating mm-hmm. the pit. And that was all a fuck you to shooter. Cause he's from Pittsburgh. So of course, as a kid, I didn't know any of this. And then now as an adult, I'm aware of all the backstory and that's really fascinating. Um, so I just sit around, no new comics. I thought, what can I do? Let me do something crazy. So I, I, I have a, Long box full of new new universe issues. Dug it out, pulled out a bunch of DP seven comics because I remember. There that we go. Favorite. Yeah, remember that as being my favorite of the eight uh, eight titles that that came out back then, and uh, gave it a read. And I read fourteen issues uh, before I had to tap out. Now there were thirty two issues plus an yeah, angle, so you just you almost made it halfway through. Yeah, so 33 issues in total. But uh, the book was uh, created uh, by uh, Mark Grunwald, who was the writer, and Paul Ryan was the artist with uh, Romeo Tangal and Danny Bulanati on uh, inks. And um, I'll just cut to the chase. Uh, it doesn't hold up. It's a pretty terrible comic book. <laughs> and, you know, like lots of things, it's hard to go home again, right? So... Um, I, I zoomed through it cause I re, I remembered a lot of the stuff. Um, 
like many comics of its era, it was incredibly verbose. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about uh, word balloons for days. Every page is is 40% word balloons. Um, and Paul Ryan, I know we've years ago talked about Paul Ryan. I, I, I think Paul Ryan's a perfectly competent draftsman. Like, I don't dislike Paul Ryan, but, you know, he's not knocking you on your ass either. I think he was very indicative of the house style back then. Um, which is not a bad thing, but it's also not something that's going to make the book um, rise above and become timeless. You know, um, the premise is simple enough. Uh, there's for those that don't know, uh, the new universe was a was a in celebration of Marvel's anniversary as a publishing imprint. They were going to create this new universe. Well, they definitely say they were going to. They did create this new universe, completely separate from the those six one six. And the premise was that there was a white event. Uh, some kind of celestial event that uh, led to uh, bunches of people suddenly having powers for the first time. And DP7 was, as I said, the one I remembered enjoying the most. Um, and the premise is, is pretty basic. A bunch of people are uh, generating powers. They don't know how to handle their powers. And so they go to a facility, um, a department for uh, you know paranormal uh, events and powers, and, and they, they go there to basically learn how to deal with their powers and, and whatnot. But of course, there's no in comics, one of the oldest tropes is these government agencies that are more harm than good. And um, and so they, they, they we, we just kind of spend really the first, I mean, I'd say we spend the first nine, ten issues just getting to know the main seven characters, um, their backstories, their histories, their interactions. And it's it's this book ends up, and why I say this in a whole bit, it really ends up being essentially a soap opera. It's just them traveling around together, getting into interpersonal squabbles with each other and with people from their um, lives before they manifested powers. And there's a bit of a backstory where the department uh, is chasing them to try and get them back uh, and has some superpowered uh, men in black type of operatives trying to track them and capture them. But uh it's it's nothing story wise or or plot wise you haven't seen a bunch of times before. Um, I always remembered the characters. I thought the characters were pretty cool, um, especially back then. It didn't seem like there were a lot of characters that were like it. Mastodon was your was your fairly typical oversized strong man, your Hulk, your thing. Um, um, but he was the heart of the book too. He was definitely the the hero of the book and the the nice guy of the book, the misbegotten hero. Never asked for these powers, but uh, was going to try and do good with them. Then you have Antibody, who was Randall O'Brien. He was a doctor, um, and he could manifest uh, basically shadow Im- sh- bodies that were shadows of himself, and they had uh, kind of minds of their own, but he could end up controlling them as the book went on. And at first, for a while, through most of the first two arcs, he just has one Antibody. Um, but then um, when pressed and fighting a, one of the, 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 the ne'er-do-wells, he can manifest a bunch and... Um, then you have, uh, uh, blur who's your speedster and he's blurry cause he's shaking all the time. You have friction who is a 19 year old, uh, athletic woman who can, uh, basically, uh, slow things down, uh, or make things slippery. And then you have, uh, Vince's favorite Dennis Skuz Kaczynski, who's a 15 year old, uh, 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 dude with a, a mullet who basically emits acid. And then as, t- as the, as the, as the series goes on, learns to become essentially almost like a, a human torch only with acidic fire. Um, you've got glitter. Who's a pretty hot soccer mom who can basically accelerate people, make them more athletic, stronger. If they have powers, make their powers better. Um, and then you have twilight. Who's the 
matron of the group. She's a grandmother who uh, has um, she emits energy from her face, so she has to wear a mask. If she takes the mask off, this energy essentially um, slows people down. You know that type of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it um, like the characters. Um, thought the art was fine. Uh, Paul definitely, Ryan. yeah, Paul Ryan. Definitely a fan of Grunwald in his run with Cap. So. No real issues per se with Mark Runwald as a as a storyteller, but uh, like I said, in rereading it, it's 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 very monotonous, both in its pacing and the dialogue, but also um, it's essentially very quickly we're introduced to the characters, they hang out for a little bit in group session, they escape and they're on the run, but there's never much of a sense of 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 uh, of danger. Uh, it's more about them hiding out and like one hometown and they so they have conflict with the husband hiding in another hometown and they have conflict with the locals it's just a lot of that and um and eventually at the end of the i guess it's the second arc maybe it's the third arc i wasn't really counting because i was reading my issues but um the they end up going nastadon ends up going back to the to the base because the others were had been captured again and um of course it just so happens that the head of the of the base happens to also be a, a, a super powered person now and uh, and, and he's he can manifest this gigantic red antibody type character energy being and uh, yeah I mean again it, it's all very kind of by the numbers for the time and since it was supposed to be this groundbreaking new way of telling superhero comics it definitely didn't age that way um, on any level really and then the other conceit of the entire new universe was that it was supposed to be in real time so every month that we got an issue was supposed to be a month of their lives as well. And, uh, you just don't really get a sense of that. Like if you had told me reading these 14 issues that it all happened over a two week period, I would have seen no, no evidence in the book to, con- to contr- contradict that. So, uh, so yeah, you know, again, sometimes you take the nostalgia time machine back and it just bowls you over and you feel all warm and fuzzy and you want to go hug everybody. And other times, uh, it's like you took a cold shower. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a pothole in in Marvel history. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Yeah, I kind of um, I didn't like them when they first came out, but I bought them like everybody else. Yeah. But you were uh, older too, so you, I mean, it, it probably you weren't falling for the marketing gimmick as easily as I was. Yeah, right. I mean, the only one I really read was Starbrand. Right. I bought the other ones just. Because if you had text on on uh, Cyforce, you buy it, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and and um, like you said, uh, there was uh, Keith Giffen was on Justice for a little while. So yeah, why not? I'll, I'll buy these books. But, Big Gray Morrow on Merc. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, derivative. <laughs> Merc is the Punisher. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and, the, and and it wasn't my. I I didn't. I mean, I I can easily rank them from favorite to not and uh i i liked i liked the approach i i i liked what shooter was aiming to do um you know because it was a a it wasn't part of the marvel universe uh initially and 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 uh you know he tried to treat Ken Starbrand, as you know, I mean, like he doesn't eat for whatever reason. Shooter doesn't, you know, cotton to someone flying through the air with their fist outstretched and and 
looking all heroic. I'm just going to, you know, kind of flitter about floating the sky with my hands in my pockets as if I'm slumping over. And, and there were, there were neat things because a lot of it, you wouldn't, it wasn't as holy crap action packed and, Mm -hmm. and, and just in your face the way most comics could be at the time. But, uh, it, it was, it was, it, it didn't feel organic. It was too much too quick. And, and, uh, it's, those energies probably could have been used. It would have been better applied, uh, towards uh, beefing up existing titles. I, instead of, I, as, as much as I enjoy DP seven and Psy force, maybe direct those energies into something like making sure fallen angels would succeed. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, yeah, it's 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 not exactly it's it's not a bright spot in Marvel history as far as I'm concerned. It was it it was um, neat to see some of the things, but I I didn't I didn't care really for Spitfire. I didn't really care for Kickers. Uh, you know, Night Mask was Dreamscape. Justice was Justice kind of just felt like something out of 2000 AD, and not not that's not a compliment. Um, it. Starbrand was the flagship, and you had John Romita art, and and they tried to do something, but yeah, it wasn't. Uh, I I I bought the entire run of Cyforce at at C two E two one year, and and um, that was the year we I, I, I foolishly kept going back uh, to Mark's table so he could sign the first issue. Uh, he ended up signing uh, the Cyclops miniseries that he illustrated but um yeah it, it's i think of them fondly but it's it, i don't i keep looking at the cypher stack and i'm like yeah i'll and i, I did I, I started i read the first three or four issues and then we started packing shit up so we could move and and i just i don't know where they are right this minute but you know it's something i'd, I'd like to eventually go back to same thing with dp7 i wouldn't um mind revisiting that because that was those two had my favorite art um of of the eight but yeah i mean i'm i'm glad you got to 14 issues but yeah they 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 can be wordy but again that 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 was that era well marvel did launch a new universe um successfully but it wasn't the one well i shouldn't say successfully aesthetically and critically there was a launch of a new universe that was great, and it was almost entirely overlooked. Uh, I, it was around the same time as New Universe, maybe a year um, into New Universe, Archie Goodwin's Shadowline, which is a phenomenal bunch of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. George, Powerline, Dr. Zero, and then you had, because sales were in the toilet, they finished it up in the Critical Mass series for uh, the, the prestige format uh, six issues that came out of Epic, I thought uh, Shadowline was phenomenal. It was a great new universe. It had everything that the new universe didn't have. It was, uh, the visuals were superb. The storylines were adult and they were challenging and they were edgy and uh, it was a, a a new way of of, a new approach to these superheroes and villains that everything that the the new universe i wanted it to have everything it didn't have shadowline had 
And I was pissed when, when they went under. I, I only think they lasted. The regular books lasted eight issues, and then they had to wrap up the storyline. So they did the the um, the Critical Mass miniseries just to corral everything. But the, I mean, the the uh, creative teams on these books were amazing, and I don't think they've ever been reprinted. And it just exists in the in the the back issue boxes. You should go find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good mm-hmm. call. Yeah. So what else? When do y'all take take that baton and run like the wind, son? <sighs> My goodness. Well, this episode is going to be all rebellion from me. Okay. I know it's a big surprise, but um, I I started reading one thing. And I said, well, you know what? I have a couple books on my stack from the same publisher. I might as well finish it out. So um, let's do the art books first. The Treasury of British Comics is an amazing imprint from Rebellion where they're uh, dredging up all these worthy illustrators and or storylines and strips and they're repackaging them for modern audiences to look back and say holy shit we missed a lot of good stuff and uh, I have two and they're both from the same artist Uh, one is Ken Reed's Creepy Creations and the other is Ken Reed's Worldwide Weirdies Volume 1 are you saying who's Ken Reed well I think you'd be justified in never hearing of Ken Reed before especially on this side of the pond but if Ken Reed had his druthers, it would have been much different. Um, he was a British cartoonist of much renown. Um, the, the pretty standard, worked on a bunch of British newspapers and magazines. Um, most notably, Beano. You've all heard of Beano, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. He, did, he did a strip called Roger the Dodger in the 50s for Beano. He had strips in the Dandy in the 60s. He both wrote and illustrated strips for Smash and Wham. Uh, one strip in particular is really, it's a curiosity. It's called Dara Day Davy. And it sets a precedent that would follow Reed for a good chunk of his remaining career. The whole conceit behind Dara Day Davy was that the title character was a kid named Davy. Um, he would not, could not back down from any kind of a challenge. Right? So what the publishers did is they solicited dares from the readers. That's dare Davy to do something. And if they picked your submission, you got a pound and your name printed in the magazine. That's pretty cool, right? So this dare a day Davy became a fan favorite, but Reed became disillusioned with drawing the same character over and over and over and over and over. So he he wanted to do something different and, and diverse. And he wanted to break into the States, right? So he sent Bill Gaines some stuff, hoping that his work would be good fit for Mad Magazine. Well, unfortunately, Jerry DeFugio, uh at Mad didn't think Reed's stuff. And Reed parlays these grotesque, crazy, contorted fantasy creatures. DeFuccio didn't think it was in the mad zone. But he's a good guy, right? He said, okay, it's not for us, but why don't you go 
touch base with Woody Gelman over at Tops, right? Tops in 1965, a mere four years prior to this little incident, employed Norm Saunders and Wally Wood and Basil Wolverton on this card set called Ugly Stickers. And I'm going to put a picture of the ugly stickers in the gallery because, it, I mean, people my age automatically know what these ugly stickers are. They were the shit when we were kids. Um, just creatures, one per card, but drawn in the inimitable style of Basil Wolverton and Wally Wood. They were grotesque, and everything that Reed did, they, these guys already did. But So they were at tops, and there was a little nibble by um, Woody Gelman, but again, it didn't really turn into anything. Even though those guys share stylistic traits with Reed, DeFuccio's, mm, you know, we, well, let's just pass on this. But his direction was sound. Even though nothing materialized at tops, the idea of this crazy creature parade stuck in Reed's mind, right? If I could draw a different creature for every magazine and have like a series of these creatures that would be really cool because i'd be doing something different all the time i'd be able to keep the creative juices flowing so years later 1972 ipc magazine launched this uh magazine called shiver and shake and editor bob painter was looking for somebody to fit the bill and he remembered that crazy reed guy and his kid-friendly icky shenanigans so he hired him and creepy creatures was born but not coincidentally the feature that appeared within shiver and shake compelled readers to send in their own outlandish creature ideas for which the winners would be paid a pound just like before and they got to see their names printed alongside reed's interpretation of their ideas. Pretty cool. Creepy Creatures ran within the magazine from March 10th, 1973 to October 5th, 1974. Reed created 73 of the 79 creatures in the series. Uh, only missed a couple days, but he had some health issues. He had this tubercular arthropathy in his hip uh, early in his life, and it sometimes it, it, it would flare up, I guess, and uh, you had to take a, a week off here and there. But So not bad, only missing six out of 79. And all of them are reprinted in this wonderful book. But in 1974, Shiver and Shake merged into a magazine called Whoopi. Um, and that's where Reed did these worldwide weirdies. Again, same deal as before, reader-inspired, um, both creepy creations and worldwide weirdies were also location based. It's crazy. Um, the creepy creation monsters were located all around the UK and the weirdies were, as the title suggests, worldwide. So in both of these books, you get maps. There's, there's maps pinpointing with little numbers in circles, the location of all the creatures included in the books so you can follow along at home but um reed was a perpetual idea machine uh I'll, again if you want to see examples of his work go to the website they'll be there uh his drawings 
are overflowing with visual data. There's stuff everywhere in these drawings. And I got to admit, at times, the amount of information in the drawing is, is at the detriment of the composition. Like, there is shit everywhere. Um, because he wasn't, in a lot of cases, he wasn't just content to feature a single creature. He also created the environments in which the creatures lived. He cre uh, injected um, even more creatures around them. Like, so you got this creature living in a swamp, right? And just, the creature's large in the, in the picture plane. And then you have all these other creatures like popping out of holes, hanging from trees. It, it's insane the amount of information that he put in these drawings. And it, they're all like beautifully designed. Longtime readers, if you're a fan of plop, who isn't, right? Um, most of this stuff is in the, the, the vein of what Wally Wood and Basil Wolverton did for the covers of plop. If you cross it with what Sergio did, you know, Sergio would frame a drawing. Um, there'd be a, 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 a border around the drawing. And inside the border, Sergio would just like load it with all these people running around and monsters and, and little sight gags here and there. That's what Reed did too. So he created the frame for the, the creepy creations. And inside of the frame, that you would have the creatures with large. This stuff is amazing. But, I mean, it's it's obviously a little on the juvenile side because these magazines were for kids. Um, you'll have, like, for example, you'll have, um, let's see, I'll get a good one. Uh, there's a terror tornado, which is an anthropomorphic tornado, right? And it's spinning so fast, it has, like, a, a bazillion eyes, and uh, it's got this goofy expression on its face. But when you see it, it just makes you... Sm like, he sucks you in to these these fabricated environments. Like, there's a, this one's really neat. There's a, a gruesome gondola. And obviously, this is, takes place in Italy, right? So there's, there's a, a gondola. And on the front of it, where the gondola peaks, there's a skull. But inside the gondola, like, the gondolier is this hunchback skeleton guy he's got long hair and he, he's pushing the gondola along and then the gondola is littered with these little tiny monsters that are awesome any one of them could be the subject of a drawing but he just included them like okay I, i'm i'm this creative dynamo i'm just gonna fill this thing with these awesome creatures and it just seems like it flowed from him like crazy, like uh, somewhat akin to Kirby, you know, all these things are very unique to, to his aesthetic and they're just great. I mean, uh, it's kind of hard to talk about an art book because there's no narrative here. Uh, there's a narrative within the drawings, but page across page, there's, there's not a narrative. Um, the shock rock of Gibraltar, obviously is the rock of Gibraltar, but the, the, the edifice itself is anthropomorphized. It has a face, and it's the the most off-putting face you want to see. It, it it looks like it's screaming, but it it could be laughing. Like you don't know, you know. And it's littered with guns and uh, like castle-like um, walls, and it's crazy. Like it's amazingly detailed and beautifully drawn. And I could say that for every one of these things, uh, they are worlds unto themselves. But for like when I said that sometimes the composition gets away from them, there's one in the the Worldwide Weirdies book called London Scareport. Okay, 
you, you get the gist, right? It's London Airport, but he called it a scareport because it's it's monsters, right? And the creatures in it are phenomenal, but the composition is lacking because he he didn't stop at just one or two creatures. There's two, four, six, seven, eight creatures in this thing, and the the airport's like a footnote. It's in the back, and these things are coming. They're landing into the runway. Each one more grotesque and beautifully designed than the next, but there's too many of them, and it just you don't like it's a circular composition for the picture plane for the worldwide weirdy. So it's very easy to 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 make the eye move around a circular composition, right? It doesn't take a whole lot of skill, but he the composition just falls flat on this one because there's creatures everywhere, you know. But that's like so. What do you want? A lot of novel design, or do you want a, a rock solid composition? I would sometimes, if the design, if the 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 drawing is phenomenal, you sacrifice composition in some senses, right? Sure. But for not all. I mean, there's just like a few where they're just so dense that I think the composition got out of his hand, but um, got away from him a bit. These books are phenomenal. They're hardcover, uh, magazine sized. And I believe they retail for about twenty bucks a piece, like less after discount, of course. But um, they're just—it's to me—they're one of the perfect things to pull off the bookshelf in times like this. You don't have to invest brain power following a narrative, like our forthcoming book of the month which is going to require a lot of brain power to follow what's going on. You could; These are just drawings of unique worlds in each drawing. So you can pull it out, you know, go through half the book, have a good time, put it back on the shelf. When the, the spirit moves you, you pull it back out, and it's just like what you will come away with is Ken Reed could freaking draw. And... There's a reason why he's lauded as one of Britain's greatest illustrators, because he is. He is just a phenomenal talent who does speak my language. These are all creepy, crawly, icky creatures, and he does it as good as anybody, as good as the best. So uh, give a look-see. If you're into uh, the, the horror stuff and the, the um, you know, the Basil Wolverton... Wally Wood approach to creating uh, unknown monsters, then check Ken Reed out because he's in a class with those guys. It's great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a complete white space for me, my friend. Uh, I think you'd appreciate it, but you'd look at it once, you'd be like, okay. Now, I'm not, no, I'm not saying to... to, to you know, poke you or chide you or anything, but it's not in your zone. Sure. No, I get that. Yeah. 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 No, I'm looking at it online. I mean, it's definitely quality stuff. I mean, visually speaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, it's childlike. I it's beautiful. I don't know if it's beautiful, but it's, uh, yeah. Hmm. Beautiful is not, I mean, well, no, I mean, it is beautiful in its own way. I just mean, when you say the word beautiful, I think it conveys, I think that word has, like, it conveys the, a traditional sense of like symmetrical beauty, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know to you, but I mean to the average person. Right, right. Person. To me, a, a photograph of a person with a slashed throat could be beautiful. No, I understand, but you are distinctly 
you are unique. What else is unique is whatever the hell Dap has been waiting all night to talk about. <laughs> I, hope, uh, I, mean, I hope it's not like something not unique. Ever like well, it's, I mean, I've, I've, I'm debating. On... He's like, he's like, let me tell you about Young Justice number 13. No, fool. <laughs> See, that's, that's hurtful. <laughs> it's about time I got it. That's hurtful from one of you because you guys hurt me all the time. All the time. 100%. It's like a fucking thousand cuts. Yep. Um, no, there's, uh, I mean, there's a bunch of things here that um, I'm, I'm probably going to end up doing some some quick hits. I was telling, I mean, it's like I said on Slack, it, there's, there's, there are things that um, that are very close to wrapping up, but because of the COVID, we're not getting those conclusions right away. Yes. And then there are a couple of things that are still a few issues out. Uh, so it's like, so why talk about issues two and three if I still have to wait for four, five, and six? So, you know, I'm um, I'm I'm trying to either get some things, finally finish things that that have been sitting around, um, and then uh, I get to a couple of them tonight. But I did I did finally read and and, and, and shout out to um, our uh, our good friend. Um, Mr. Brian Clark for sending me this uh, this TKO book. Uh, it's it's been a minute. It's uh, yeah he, he he sent it a little while ago, but uh, it is the Banks by Roxanne Gay. Oh, and right on Doyle, yeah. and uh, colored by Jordi Belair. This is the trade version, collecting the six issues. Um, it's I I I liked it. It it. Um, I felt Ming's art was maybe a little stronger in the kitchen. Uh, but I, I definitely, I enjoyed this story. It's, it's, it's not, um, if, if you're a fan, if you're a fan of the kitchen, if, if you're a fan of the movie heat with, uh, Pacino and De Niro and Kilmer, if, if, um, if you're a fan, I, I'd even say if you're a fan of criminal by Brubaker and Phillips, but it's not as, um, it's not as intense. There are some moments where uh, it's drama filled and there's a little bit of tension, but it's not as uh, as raw or or gritty as Criminal is. And and the story is basically about uh, three generations of women of the Banks women. Um, there's uh, there's um, Clara Banks is the uh, is the matriarch. She's we, we were introduced to her first where she um, she meets where, where we see her in action with her husband, where uh, they're basically they're they're burglars. They um, they don't hurt anybody. They um, they don't get greedy. And basically they're they're, they're not Robin Hood in the sense that they then disper- distribute um their spoils, they they keep it for themselves, but they don't. They they only take from the people who either hurt others or who may not miss it as much. So uh, they're smart about it, and um, it, it's basically it's karma. So you know, if, if if you do wrong to others, then you get what you deserve. So uh, and 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 they're they're good and they're safe and they're kind of just 
flying under the radar, not bothered by anybody. Uh, but someone does know that um, Melvin is good at what he does, and uh, and he kind of gets caught up in some CD business, and um, but he doesn't snitch, so he goes away to prison for a while. Um, and then he tries to fly the straight and narrow, but Melvin and Clara have a daughter, Cora. Um, Cora has a daughter named uh, Cecilia, and Grandma is pretty much defined with with the way her life has been. You know, she she may not she, she didn't necessarily need a nine to five job. She's she she provided for herself. Her husband provided, and 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 life was good. Um, the Cora kind of um, I'm not real sure. Cora also got involved in the family business. Um, the book doesn't really go into detail as far as what her. Uh, job might be I, I don't know if she just continues to to steal but but she's she she and her her wife who, who's a doctor who they they met actually when cora was pregnant with uh when clara was pregnant with cecilia i'm sorry cora was pregnant with um cecilia and uh cecilia's the only one who really is is really on the straight and narrow, although not really because she's, um, she's an investment banker and then, and, and they deal with, with hedge funds and things like that. And they, they make the, the snide remarks about how. A word? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. Yes. Um, but they, uh, but they know the money that they, they move and, and take care of, um, they, they, they talk as though their customers are also like really criminals and, um, so it's okay to steal from their clients more or less, but the, um, Cecilia is also down with the swirl, but the, what I, what I liked about this story was that it, it, I enjoyed the dialogue a lot. Um, cause these are things that, um, the women, the way they talk to each other, these are things I've heard my wife say to her mother and and uh, and and other people in my wife's family and her friends. Um, this the dialogue is very true. Uh, it takes place in Chicago, uh, but it doesn't. Um, it feels it definitely feels all lived in. There's there's there's. It, I appreciate how um, it doesn't come across too over the top or exaggerated. The uh, as far as the story itself, and and it, it's not a Fast and Furious type tale. They 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 try to keep everything low key, and and um, there there may be some leaps of faith or uh, filling in the gaps when it comes to well, how did they. How do they get the, they speed some things up when it comes to, they need to get some equipment so that they can, uh, case out one joint. And, um, it seemed awfully in, in one paragraph in one panel, uh, the guy they're getting their, their tech from, 
He's like, it's going to take me some time to get that other piece because, you know, that's that's hard to come by and it's pricey. And then, like, you know, you turn the page and it's like another using it. It's like, okay, I feel like I, I maybe missed a, a scene here. But um, you just kind of go with it. And it's, I, again, the, the, the last issue, the last issue and a half, they, it, it's, there was, there was a bit of a, uh, are they going to pull this off? Will they, won't they? Um momentum happening and and i appreciate that it, it it's you know you make it to the end of it and and think it's predictable and it's like okay well no then that's that's what i expected but sometimes it's it's about the journey and um i thought that this was this was a a, a real solid story the um the only one that the only character that kind of feels a little bit too um too outlandish is uh is kind of the the big bad, the guy who ended up sending um, Melvin away, and the guy who um, is the reason why the women that 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 grandma wants to do this job because Cecilia's like, listen, she's like, I there's somebody at work, we have a client who does some shady shit. Um, it's the perfect crime. We can rob him. And we're out, and and you know she's talking about Bitcoin, and Grandma's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" So it's it's there was a little bit of you know it, uh, it's, it's some techno jargon that Grandma had to catch up on, but because uh, she's old school, she she likes picking her locks and, and and cracking safes the way she knows how. She doesn't um, when it comes time to the biometrics and shit like that. She's she's a little hesitant. I mean, she'll still get the job done, but that's not um she she's not uh it's not it's not her strong suit. But when um. There's there's some moments there's some tension between in, in the, within the family because grandma's like you didn't want anything to, you knew what we were doing you don't want anything to do with us and now all of a sudden you know we you want our help and and think you know you know what's best for us so there was um, I don't know if it was a real come to Jesus moment but um, there were some conversations had between grandmother and granddaughter where they both they both thought they knew what the other one was thinking or, or how the other one lived. And, um, there was, uh, they, they had to hash their shit out and, and none of this felt like it, it detract or deviated from, from the course. It wasn't just a straight, we got to rip this guy off. It, it was, you know, there's, this is a family and, and it has that definitely a feel to it. So I think I, overall it was a, it was a real, um, it was a real solid story. I'm, I'm glad I, um, you know, the TKO hasn't, uh, you're just wrong yet as far as I could tell. And, and this was, uh, this was just, I think I, what I liked about the banks in this case, um, was the, uh, was probably the story more than the art. And it's not to say that the art was bad. It's just that I felt that the story was, uh, Roxanne's story was, was a tad stronger than Ming's art. Um, in this case, and and Jordy's colors were were fine, but no, I think um, if if uh, if you get if you get a chance, I know TKL have some sales from time to time. TKL right now is actually, um, I ordered uh, two TKO books earlier in the month uh, because if you order when you order from TKO, half of the um, they will send half to um, half the money you spend to uh to your comic shop there's a drop down and uh you pick the comic shop and um 
so this way it's kind of a kind of a win-win so you you buy the books from tka you still got some you still got some reading material and uh and your comic shop can um can uh pick up a few bucks since it since pretty much they're all closed yeah. um and uh and if 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 you're brian hibbs they should stay closed but we have uh there's a um no but i seriously tko studios still doing some solid stuff i'm actually waiting for um uh sentient and uh pound for pound and i looked at the uh, it was funny because i decided i'm like it's been a minute i i don't know where my books are and i looked at the um because vince will love this i checked the app and i saw the fucking arrow it's actually crisscrossed the country. It was the package was in Jersey, and now it's in fucking Washington State. That's so, crazy. Yeah, it is. So I don't know if it just got stuck huh. behind someone's seat at, at at the postal service, but hopefully it'll make its way back to this coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I uh, uh, yeah, props to props to Kale, props to, to Ryan for trucking me up, and um, and yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll pay it forward and and pass this along. But this was this was really enjoyable. I, I really really had fun with it, and um, it put me in a, in 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 a good place. I um, only because of the the ride it took me on. I um, it wasn't it wasn't something. It, it it definitely wasn't a chore to read, but it wasn't it, it wasn't so predictable or or um, or, or the kind of story where uh, I felt like I didn't get anything out of it. I, I, I appreciated everybody involved on the project. So the banks. Nice. I, I think it would be interesting to have C on Z Chun, the uh, publisher. Of, uh, I agree. Yeah. He's a Hollywood showrunner. loves comics. He wrote a few of the first round. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he's, and he's certainly a fucking awesome hype man for comics. Like, on, on on the socials dude is out there rapping every day so cool i'm just a I little like you haven't read any tko yet vince have you read sarah yeah oh i forgot you know i forgot all about sarah yeah no you're right that's probably yeah, their, read... that's pro- their crowning gem so far yeah right um i'm a little bit confused i thought tko skirted the comic shops it's weird to me too. I'm with you. I mean, Dap is right. They are taking this approach, and it is surprising to me. For you're, I think you're both right. Like, that's a good question, Vince. I was wondering the same thing. I think I thought they. Um, I don't think they were doing the bad idea route, but I, I I thought with the second wave or not. Not it was after the second wave that the the, the next four were announced. But I did think that um, I saw something where you can order them through. Your shop, they, they won't go through diamond, but you could still like your oh, shop. Right? Maybe it's just anti-diamond. There's right. not diamond. Oh yeah, well, that's yeah, yeah. that's kind of smart. Okay. Right. Hmm. Did you guys that hear the, hear the news about about what? Uh, Bill Matlow's brother Michael. Yes. Died. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. That's good, good sad. Good man. On Facebook, it it it. Because I saw Matlow and I was like, no, no, no. And then it said Michael, and I was like, what the fuck? Because he he's constantly um, sharing. My my Facebook posts, especially when um, they're pertaining to to Trump, but he is, um, yeah. We've 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 exchanged, um, we've had exchanges on on Facebook, pleasant, and and he's always been a nice dude, and and he's always, uh, I mean, maybe a little out there from time to time based on on the mood, but um, I, I I definitely feel for his widow and and uh he was a huge advocate for his brother and um 
was, uh, you know, I, I hope, I, I don't know what's, I don't know if he was still able to visit Bill with, with, uh, with the pandemic going on. I don't, um, I, I, I don't know what, how that's been going. And I, I don't know. Um, I hope when Bill gets the news, it, once, once he realizes what's going on, that um, it doesn't affect him. But it's, um, yeah, it, 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 it blew me away when I saw it earlier today. Sad, crazy times. Um, yeah, much no, much right. love to his, um, his family. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, you're right. Take us up, Jason. bring the room down there, Vince. Yeah, why don't you just bring us up then? Um, all right, well, so... Um, now, I know... Go ahead. No, I, I know, I know we, we, we had Rick on Monday, and, and so I don't, I don't know if it's old news now. You did... You, you have said some things. You've written some things, either in, in, in our circles on Slack... Um, and and you were baffled when in the comments when when people brought it up on on the in the Facebook group. But I don't unless I blanked out last week. Have you said anything about um, Hibbs's take on on the two distributors that are trying to at least help out the shops that still want are still able to sell product? No, I mean I haven't. Um... Uh, uh, it's, it's a minefield, I think, because, um, all right, well, I guess we should set the table if we're going to talk about this. Um, like you said, a lot of people I'm sure know this already, but we had this whole thing where we, well, first of all, we had Christina on, right? We had Christina on, um, God, was it, it feels like it was a month ago. Was it like a week ago? <laughs> it was almost a month ago. Yeah. It was, no, yeah. it was earlier in the month, but yeah. 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 Like two weeks ago. Um, and at the time we were at the time she was on, um, the entire direct market had just closed. Diamond had been shut down for a few weeks. Nobody was getting this. It was the, she was on the week, the first week that there were no new comics. Um, and uh, I, I think it was a well received, um, uh, you know, a well received interview in the sense that she was very candid about her position on on everything. And look, I totally get it. it's a it's a competitive market with low margins. So there's no doubt a lot of people would probably hear her perspective and say, go F off because, you know, they're not living that life. And that's fine, too. Um, but then literally, like, talk about our timing, literally, like, days after we had her on, um, the news breaks that DC is breaking away from Diamond, at least temporarily, to do business with two new distributors named Lunar and UCS. And by the time we hear this news, the powers that be have already figured out that Lunar and UCS are uh, newly formed subsidiaries of um, Discount Comic Book Service and Midtown Comics, uh, Lunar being DCBS and UCS being Midtown. Um, and the way it's going to work is DC is going to let uh, is going to put its new releases out through those two as distributors. Um, uh, DCBS handling the Deep South and the West Coast of the country, and Midtown handling the East Coast and North of the country. Um, this was met with a lot of reaction from cheers to jeers. Uh, as you alluded, David, uh, Brian Hibbs, who is a very well-known retailer on the West Coast in San Francisco, he's written a column forever, I mean 20 years probably, called Tilting at Windmills. 
gets a lot of press. We've talked about it over the years occasionally. Um, he's somewhat become the voice of the, um, uh, like the voice of the of the of the retailer for for, for better or for worse. Uh, and he came out with an absolute just scathing indictment on the whole thing, um, calling Christina and Cam as well as uh, Midtown his enemies, and saying it's ridiculous to think that he would ever do business with his enemies and bad operators. Um, and he gave, I think it was seventeen talking points that he uh, had an issue with. This and, yeah. yeah, I believe it was seventeen. And um, you know, I mean, I should. I know I can hear Vince saying, why do you bother? But uh, <laughs> I couldn't resist. And I went into Brian's Facebook thread and began debating him. Um, I wasn't the only one. I mean, there was plenty of debate going on on all sides of this. But I engaged with him directly. And uh, and to be in his credit, he engaged with me. And he didn't ignore me or ban me or mute me or whatever. He he, he was going back and forth. Um you know, but that said, I fully admitted in my engagement with him that there was a lot of unanswered questions, right? Like I was going on the fact of what we heard was going to be the case. Now, fast forward to us recording tonight. It is now the Thursday of the first week that this new agreement has been in place. Uh, I did speak to Christina. Um, they did get their first week of shipment of DC product out to the retailers who did sign up through her. Um, she said it was definitely a learning experience, but from her vantage, everything went well for the first week. They got everything out on time, so forth, so on. Um, and, uh, I'm kind of left with, with a bit of a conundrum here because I am a unabashed, uh, and, and unapologetic capitalist. Um, I fully understand, uh, as we talked about when Christina was on the idea that if you are one of the 20% of stores that is still able to have your store open, or if you're one of the, you know, let's say another 20% of that 80% who are closed physically but are still doing things like uh, mail order or home delivery or curbside pickup, uh, it would seem highly unfair and unreasonable to expect those retailers to forego cash flow uh, and customer interaction for the sake of everybody else. In my opinion, again, you may think totally differently, and I haven't even really asked you guys, our listeners, if you have another opinion, it's totally fine too. But I don't see any other industry where because one portion of an industry is besieged, everybody else in that industry agrees to in solidarity to be besieged equally. You know, because a lot of restaurants are closed down right now, no restaurant owner is asking every other restaurant to close down because they don't think it's fair that they get to sell food, right? Um, So I really struggle with this idea where basically Brian Hibbs' contention was – I think we shouldn't have any new comics right now because 80% of the, of the comics retailers can't sell comics. And it's not fair to the 80% of us. Well, my response to that is you're absolutely right. It's not fair that you can't sell comics right now. But life isn't fair, right? I mean, like it, the world right now is dealing with the ultimate case of not fair. Um, entire industries far larger than comics are facing insolvency and bankruptcy because of a virus that they had nothing to do with. That's not fair, right? Literally tens of millions of people in this continent are out of work, not because they did bad jobs or because the economy was starting to do poorly from a collection of of bad events, but because of a virus. Lots of great people are out of work collecting unemployment or some not even collecting unemployment because of bad luck. Like that is the reality that we're faced with. And so it's just incredulous to me that anyone would be so myopic and so selfish, frankly, to think that because they are in a position 
that's untenable and stressful and um, unexpected that somehow everyone else that does what they do for a living should be in solidarity with them. I think that's horrifyingly selfish. Um, like, like in, in like, like to the point where I can't conceptualize having that viewpoint. Um, and that's where Brian stands. And, and Brian also, I think rubbed people wrong at least to an extent in his soliloquy because he made the point that, you know, he's calling TCPS and Midtown enemies and bad operators. Um, and yet, then he goes on to say that he refuses to do mail order because he tried it and it's low margin and a pain in the ass. Right. Well, Brian, again, like Laberna Dan, the best, arguably the best French restaurant in New York is doing fucking takeout. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, people are doing things they never wanted or expected to do to stay alive economically speaking like that's where we're at right now i mean that is just and it sucks like it is a horrifying tragedy on every level that many people are having to do things for pennies on the dollar relative to their normal use of time but that's where we are so if you if brian i don't know brian's i don't know hibbs's financial situation no idea i have no idea if he's a wealthy man not so wealthy i don't know but he has clearly articulated that for him it's too annoying and too much of a time encumbrance to do mail order and delivery for his customers. But again, like, okay, so then you're opting to stay closed. This new deal doesn't force any retailer to do, to do business with, with these new distributors. If, if you're like Brian Hibbs or you're like our friends at challengers in Chicago, and you would rather not spend cash flow on new comics right now because you're not open. You have that option. Diamond has already come forward and said, we're going to be back open for business. We think full capacity by mid to late May. And if you wait around, we fully expect to have all the comics that you're going to need from us, including the ones that weren't shipping this last month. We'll have them for you. So stay tuned. So if you're a lot of these stores that can't be open right now and don't have money to buy new comics, you're good. Like you have a deal with Diamond. You in in May, you go back to business like you're good. There's no issue. So, again, like I don't even understand why he's put out by this. Like it doesn't like he's not he's not being forced into this. He's not being told by D.C. You no longer can do business with Diamond. You ha- now that to be a different thing. If D.C. told everyone you cannot do business with Diamond anymore, we're leaving them. That's a different story. Like that would be something that I understand would cause a lot of consternation. But that's not what's happening. Now, that said, why I said I'm mixed of this. And again, you know, Christine is a good friend. Obviously, we just had her on the show. She's both a sponsor and a friend. And I'm a huge customer of theirs. But I will say there are questions that I do understand why some retailers would be apprehensive. One, this all came about very quickly. Like, like literally, it was announced on one day, and they had essentially two to three days to get their paperwork in. So that's, that's, that's a tough thing. Two, while I personally don't think it's reasonable to view Midtown and DCBS as the enemy, I think it's actually ridiculous. I understand that many retailers disagree. And if they have that viewpoint, I understand it's it's shocking in the midst of this to be told you have to do business with someone that you worry is taking business from you. Three, as I've come to understand it, and again, I've tried to confirm this with sources, including Christina, but I've been unable to one way or the other. Um, because of the nature of becoming a distributor, even for temporary basis, they do get access to a lot of information about all of these retailers that they otherwise would never have access to, including the terms that these retailers have with Diamond itself. Now, you might be saying, who cares? Well, that does kind of matter, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if you come to, like, let's say you're Christina or you're Midtown. I don't know who owns Midtown. That's why I'm not using their name. But if you're the owners of either of those places, let's say you now find out that there's some store in, you know, Des Moines that is getting 
you know, 90 days payable terms because uh, maybe they're having tough times. But like Diamond extended those, those credit terms to them. And here you are sitting, you know, as the largest retailer in the, in the country, Diamond's most important customer, and you're nowhere close to being given those same terms. You may then say, well, shit, Diamond, like if you're giving, you know, Acme store in Iowa these terms and they sell 20 copies of a book, I want those terms. So, so there, are, there are reasons I can understand conceptually why you wouldn't want your largest competitors to have information like that. I get that. Um, and then finally, I think there is some logic to the idea of this is just DC doing this. And so every retailer is different, but a lot of retailers, let's say DC's a quarter of the market. That'd be one thing if DC was doing this and was putting out their normal slate of books, but they're not. This first week was just five books, and three of those books were digital first. So you're really only doing – you're reopening – you're basically signing papers to reopen to work with a competitor to get books that essentially only two of them are new and neither of them are major books. They're both Sandman books, The Dreaming and one – I think yeah, whatever. I can't remember the other one. Uh, uh, maybe it's a Hill House book. I forget. It's one of the – yeah, it's Daph- Daphne uh, uh, Byrne. Um, Daphne Byrne, is that the name of the book? Um, is that yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 It's Daphne Byrne and The Dreaming. So neither of those are huge books. So you are basically having to go through all of this rigmarole to end up getting two books that probably weren't going to sell more than a couple dozen copies in your store anyway. Um, so I get that that would be reluctant. Now, DC maintained that they did this this way on purpose because they didn't want to force this like massive groundswell of book to have to move in a new channel and put the pressure on both the new distributors and the stores all at once. And that makes some sense to me. But nevertheless, if you're a store, are you thinking like, well, damn, let me sign papers to go do business with DCBS so I can get the dreaming? Probably not, right? So what this really is going to come down to, and we don't have the answers to this, and I and I, our listeners, if you're wondering, like, this is not us knowing the answers behind the scenes from Christina and just not being able to tell you. I don't know the answers. I've asked her this, but she has been unable to tell me. Um, what I don't know is in May or whenever, when Diamond goes back to business, if this was just a temporary thing to help out DC because DC requested it, which is the current narrative, I think it's water under the bridge. People forget about it, and we all move on. If this is DC deciding that this was their way of doing something that, that was rumored for a long time, which was getting out from Diamond, because that's that's been a rumor that DC and Marvel were looking to do that for years, uh, and that you know once this is over and Diamond's back home for business, and DC says we still want you to use these other distributors, then there's a lot of questions to be asked, right? Like, are they going to get the same level of customer service? Are the terms going to be the same? Um, and we don't have the answers to that yet. So I, I get. I totally get why, as a retailer, you might opt out of this. I do not get painting Christina and DCBS or Midtown as the enemy. That doesn't make any sense to me. Because I've confirmed from multiple sources that they this was not their idea. DC called them both up, said, you know, you are the only two with the size and capitalization and logistical expertise to even attempt this in short order. Um, you know, would you be interested in understanding that what they're really getting out of it is they're getting book, right? Like as Christina said, when she was on our show for her personally being mail order, she just wants book. So anything she has to do to get book, she's going to do it. And DC said, we will let you have book. We'll keep printing if you can do this for us. So they rose to the occasion and said, we'll try it. We're like, we'll do it for you. Um, again, I can also tell you all that, that, that neither of these companies is making much of any profit off of this, at least at this scale. Now, would they eventually have a profitable distribution business if, they, again, they became full-on competitors to Diamond with, with lots of other publishers? Yeah, possibly. But right now, like what they're doing is essentially a huge favor to DC with the auspice that they'll get paid back by having access to DC books. Um, and maybe maybe the real payoff here is when all this goes back to normal, 
uh, Midtown and DCBS get direct shipping from Marvel and DC or just DC in the future, which will be good for them because they'll save margin. Maybe that's the ultimate play here. I don't know. And again, I've asked Christina that she hasn't answered me. So um, I guess what I'm what I'm ultimately trying to say here is that, you know, kind of like I've always thought Brian Hibbs has had some interesting viewpoints. But in this case, I think he shows himself to be a blowhard. And I think he shows himself to be very myopic and frankly selfish. And it frustrates me that a lot of the reactions I've seen to this based on negative uh, feedback have been partially unfounded. And even where it's not unfounded, it speaks to me of an industry that we've known for a long time is full of people that are pretty bad business people. Because I can't tell you that there hasn't been a moment that I've been a comic book fan or collector, and there certainly hasn't been a moment in the 12 years that we've been doing the show, that the idea that Diamond and its monopolistic hold on this industry was a good thing, has ne- that concept has never been uttered. Everyone that you've ever talked to, from ourselves two creators, two publishers, two store owners have always maintained that they regret deeply the circumstances that led to Diamond having a monopoly in this. And yet here we are through unforeseen pandemic-led circumstances creating the first real chance the industry has at a legal, totally different distribution system. And what do we do? We spend two weeks shitting on it and saying, I can't believe everybody's doing this. I want Diamond back. And it is just so endemic to me of why this industry on the retail side is pretty fucked up. And again, I'm generalizing. I understand that there are 2,000 retailers out there, and there are probably hundreds, if not, you know, there are plenty that are very well-run businesses trying their best to make a living, and I'm not besmirching them. But collectively, as an industry, this is showing a myopia, a fear of innovation, and a ridiculous, I think, uh, almost incalculable uh, defense of Diamond that I'm, I'm my jaws on the floor because you got you tell me if I'm a mad, like have you ever heard someone in this industry on any level openly praise Diamond ever? <laughs> uh, not that I recall. Like have we ever had a conversation where a retailer or a small press publisher or a creator said, "Nah, you know Diamond's pretty legit. Like they get a bad rap, but they're legit." <laughs> have you? I can't think of a time. And yet, I've, for two weeks, I've seen people decrying, how could DC do this to Diamond? It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand it. Now I'm off my soapbox. That got me all fired up. <laughs> now let's talk about some fun comics. Now I'm fired up. I appreciate the amount of brain power you put into that. And uh, I appreciate that. You, I appreciate your level of concern for things that, um, personally, I have absolutely no concern for. No, I know. but no, it, I mean, it, it just speaks to your character that you, um, take time away from your gray matter processing power that could be better devoted to other things. And yet you, mull these things over and you 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 search for answers and you ask people and you back up facts it's just it 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 does my heart good to know that you're on my team i appreciate that yeah i mean listen this is one of those things where i don't know that i would have cared as much about the details had we not just had christina on right i mean because what i wanted to do is i really vince i wanted to make sure that we didn't get um intentionally or unintentionally uh used as a straw man, if you know what I mean? Like, like I'm going to presuppose, and again, I'm sure Christina doesn't listen to this, I'm going to suppose that when she was on the show with us, she at least knew this was in the 
this was possible, if not happening, right? Sure. And she gave us no indication. Now, am I mad at her for that? No, I'm not, because it was NDA, right? There were it was DC yeah. and them, and, and I, sure. so I'm not mad at her at all. I get that, but but we weren't told. She didn't like you know. We had her on as kind of like a hey, we know you. Do you want to speak on it? Interesting perspective. Um, again, I'm not upset that we didn't get like breaking news, but I'm going to presume we didn't get a fully 100% truthful portrayal of things either because she couldn't. Sure. But in, so, I mean, in her defense, and I don't, I don't, shouldn't have to defend her cause she's not here, but if you're playing the game, you're not going to show your hand before everybody lays down. No, no, no. hundred percent. That's why I'm saying I'm not upset. Right. But, but after all this news broke, I did then reach out to her and say, you know, Hey, listen, I totally get it. Like make no mistake. Right. I, I'm, you know, I'm a big boy, but now that we know what we know, I got more questions. And to her, you know, we've talked a lot. Like, we've exchanged messaging most days, really, since since she's won the show. Um, and she's fully, at least from her vantage, willing to come back on and talk about all this if we want her to. Um, you know, if it, like next week, whatever. It, it, we may, I told her we'll have to see. It depends on if it's something worthy of, you know, may, may all be figured out by then. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, I do like to protect. Like, we're not a media source, right? We're not trying to break news. We're not trying to... Uh, have the hot take and like, you know, get uh, on the SEO and be like, Oh, according to 11 o'clock comics. But we were in a weird position where we kind of were like putting a face to that. We got a lot of positive feedback on having uh, feedback on having Christina on. So one of my main concerns was making sure that we weren't not, I knew we would never be intentionally duped, but I wanted to make sure we weren't unintentionally duped and like <laughs> kind of portraying a more benevolent situation than it then was. And that's why I wanted to at least make sure that like what is being said is going to happen is happening. And um I've seen a little bit of feedback the last day or two online. And again, fair is fair. I got a shout out to uh, Bleeding Cool had a story today about a couple of retailers. And again, I know people scoff at Bleeding Cool and I've got my own issues with with Rich, but but in this case, I think it was a fairly reported story with sources and quotes and stuff. Um talking about like some people that actually have signed up for for this and I will say I'm happy to report that in Christina's defense, the story essentially revolved around the idea that uh, DCBS is playing fairer than um, than than Midtown right now. Midtown has not, at least again, according to these specific retailers, is not honoring the same terms. They're not giving as much disclosure, whereas DCBS is honoring the terms and not charging for restock fees, uh, anything like that. So, so I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Like, it seems like at least based on the very early returns, Christina, and I'm not surprised by this, but it's great to confirm is being super up and up on the way they're dealing with other retailers. And I'm, again, that's what you would have expected, but it's nice to hear because at least it sounds like Midtown's maybe not playing as fair, at least with some customers. Sure. So that's cool. Right, like that's well, good to hear. just to get back to the whether or not we were used in some capacity, that's irrelevant to me. I, I, I really don't care. All I care about is people listen. So it's all about the spectacle, the carnage, the, the, the train wreck. If we can attract ears, that's my main concern. Whether we were used or not, whatever. Mm. I'm, I, yeah, like you said, I, I would bet on the side that we weren't, but... Should that prove not to be true? I don't really care. <laughs> it, it wouldn't. I would still love the woman either way. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Yeah. But anyway, let's talk about some freaking comics. Damn. Well, yeah. Since you, t- yeah, uh, you know what? Know, Dad, did the, he 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 trigger worded me. Yeah. Well, he did it on purpose. But did they pause the draft for for your soliloquy or did it? 
I mean, I know it's a running joke, but give me some credit. I have not uh, been distracted tonight. I, I can tell because you were totally engaged. You had the seatbelt on and everything on that. Oh, that's right. I did it. All right. I got something. Okay. Con- continuing the rebellion, love. So you say you want to read Judge Dredd. <laughs> do you? And you, there should be many people who do because yeah. he's a long-running, uh, very compelling character, a classic character, I would say. Uh, yet the the scope of the Judge Dredd history is so very wide. Where do you begin? Well, I have um, somewhat of an answer uh, because, yes, there is a pretty big pool in which to dip but there has recently been published a two-parter in 2000 AD, a lousy piddling two-parter that pretty much encapsulates the, the, the dread world very, very well. Uh, it appeared in 2000 AD Prague's 2174 and 2175. It's called Hair of the Dog, and it was written by Ian Edgington, big name, illustrated by Disraeli. Oh, nice. Yes. Mm. Uh, it's a very, very cool setup. There, You got this security footage of a Justice Department tech lab where research was being done on the next generation lawgiver. It seems like they're always updating the lawgiver. I mean, it's standard issue for, for judges, so rightly so. But, but they were um, tweaking the lawgiver, you know, new powers, new abilities, and... Um, the techs are killed, and the prototype goes missing, and they got all this on security footage. So they're going over the footage, and they don't see anybody. It, lo- it looks like the guys were taken out by an invisible assailant, and the gun, one frame, the gun is there. The next frame, the gun is gone. What the hell is going on? To make matters even worse, the perpetrator blew up the lab to cover his or her tracks. You got a quandary here. What do you do? Invisible assailant on the security footage. No, no more lab. Where do you go? So as expected, Dredd's brought in. Dredd hits the scene and he learns that the debris of the tech lab contains traces of extraterrestrial particles. Hmm. They pinpointed the origin of the particles. They were from the Boraday system. So, a Boraday expert is brought in, or rather flies in, in a bug-shaped ship. His little dude, by the name of Investigator Balzari, this diminutive, cigar-smoking, multi-armed, insectoid being. He's got a chin of a Skrull or Thanos. He's always chomping on a cigar. Rah, rah, rah. And he's, you know. So, he, he's brought in, and he immediately knows what's going on. He's like, I know who did this. His ex-partner, a disgruntled cop turned mercenary, nasty piece of work uh, by the name of Donnie. Turns out Donnie, like Balzari, is armed with a molecular decompressor. Think Hank Pym in the 2080 universe. He points it at something, he presses the trigger, whatever he points it on either enlarges or shrinks, depending on the setting, okay? So this, that's how he killed the techs and stole the lawgiver without being captured on the security footage, right? So Dred's all fired up. He, he's eager to nail this Donnie guy. 
And Balzari, Donnie was his ex-partner. He's taking it personal, right? So he, he drops the bomb that his race travel using animals. So these are the little tiny, tiny guys, right? They, they have this low-level psychic bond with whatever they're, they're riding on. So Dredd remembers, he's seen this security footage, he remembers that there's a dog outside the, the fence of the security lab. He sees the dog. He's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, there's a dog. This guy be riding on the doggo. So they go to the scene and the, the, the dog is there. They, they, they creep up on the dog and Balzari's like, wait a minute, you're doing it wrong. This is definitely a setup. Too late. Judge Dredd is shrunk. And he spends the rest of part two on the back of the dog. The fight, the whole rest of this story takes place on the dog's body. Giant, what look like giant trees are the dog's hair. It's awesome. It's like the incredible shrinking man. But it's Judge Dredd, right? So I'm not going to tell you how it plays out. But it is so much fun. And it's only two parts. Visually, it's a bit of an anomaly for 2000 AD. Um, Disraeli draws a really weird Judge Dredd. He's got like a... Dredd's helmet is wider than his head, obviously. But mm-hmm. the way Disraeli draws Judge Dredd, it's like he's got a mushroom head, like the mushroom cap, and the his jaw is just like more jutting than usual. But visually, it's stunning. It's super colorful. The dog is cuter than F., um, these aliens are, are really nicely detailed and, and they're, it's inventive, you know, for, um, what would be a throwaway insectoid alien. I think the designs are pretty damn cool and colorful, beautifully designed. It's great. And it's the, the main thing is what I want to get across. It's only two parts. So if you want to see, if you want a little, in, uh, like an encapsulation of what has attracted we fans, to dread over the over the many years. This I think is a good starting point because you'd be like, all right, you, you get the personality of dread and some of the universe. Like obviously, you know the, the the mega cities aren't included, and you know the cursed earth isn't there. So all the the real big scenarios, those you can discover later. But as far as just what makes this dread character tick, this is a really good starting point. So write this down if you haven't read any Dread. Uh, 2000 AD, 2174 and 2175. Uh, Rebellion does digital, so you're covered. I'm sure you can get these for next to nothing from, from Rebellion. And uh, your world of Dread will be opened, and you can jump into the, the really, really deep stuff, like the Brian Boland and the... The Dark Judges and the Cursed Earth and the Block Wars and all the great stuff. That's crazy. Personally, I can't get enough Judge Dredd. No, I understand. It just it just works for me. Um, he's authoritarian, and usually I uh, that's not something that I find very appealing. A, a by the book authoritarian uh, sanctioned. Uh, well, he's a, he's a cop, right? Uh, but he he really he, dread cares about the letter of the law to right. the let to the very yes. letter. I mean, sometimes yes. he can't be swayed. There's no, 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 he's no, not, no. He's not the Punisher. He's not. He's he's not Green Arrow. He's this is it. This is. I mean, his 
he is the law. It's this is the way it is, whether you've jaywalked or punched a kid. Oh yeah. No no time off for good something. behavior. Nope. Exactly. No. This is this is the you're 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 doing time in the block and that's you know, that's that's it. There's no way, well, can you think, you know, it's my first defense, dude. It's like, this is... No, there's no gray in Judge right. Dredd's world. And that's and that's why, what I also appreciate about Judge Dredd is, I mean, yes, you can, you can look at the case files and get hundreds of pages of Judge Dredd. You can read a ton of Judge Dredd in one sitting, but the serials, the stories, the chapters are in short spurts. I, I like that I'm not going to get tired or... It's going to feel like it's a chore if I read too much judge because the story visually, but the story, the 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 whatever adventure you want to call it, he's on, is going to be different after a handful of pages. So it's not it's not right. it, it's the same character, but it's not it's not one. It's not the X Men. It's not Spider Man. It's not Daredevil. Where you're like, it, if I miss an issue, I might miss a whole chapter in this dude's life. No, it's a Judge Dredd story. Is a Judge Dredd story, and 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 they. I just think that it's. It's consumable. I love the format. I, I I love how it's offered. I don't. I don't. Which is you know. I appreciate IDW's offerings with you know. Here's a Judge Dread monthly, but I don't necessarily need twenty two pages of one Judge Dread chapter. No. Um, well, you know there are very long and involved Dread stories. Oh sure. Right. Yes, but, over but, over but, time but, but, there but, there have been, but they're 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 like you said compartmentalizing these easily digested chunks because. Yes. 2000 AD is a weekly. Right. There's there's not an artist on the planet that can churn out more than eight to ten pages uh, of a dread story, you know, in short in short time like that. Right. E- even if they have a month lead time. Um. So yeah, it it it's on the one hand it's done just to get the magazine published, but on the other, I think it's really neat that you can you can pause. Oh, they it, definitely use the format to their advantage, without a oh, doubt. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they, they know this is this is the limitations they have. This is how we're going to work. Instead of, okay, here's a story. You break it up to where it fits your package. No, like that, which is, you know, it, it's it's one, it, still one reason why, you know, I get it, but I'm still not a 100% fan of, you know, writing for the trade. I don't, not every story needs to be six chapters and just, I want an organic story. I want, I want a story to flow and come to its natural conclusion, whether that's two issues, whether that's six, whether that's eight, whatever, but don't, don't say we have to, like when someone makes a movie and they film all these scenes, then, okay, maybe the studio's like, listen, we only have, you have to get it done in 98 minutes. Then there's a lot of editing and cutting it down, and, and now you're, you're forced to, to conform to it. To, to, but, but if you just, if you're writing or telling a story, I don't care. It, it's, it's like, what the hell were we watching, Vince, where it's like some, oh, oh, oh um, uh, Too Old to Die Young. It's like some, some episodes were like, you know, 112 minutes, and, and some were, you know, like 98. It, it doesn't, I don't care how long something I, I, I don't, I don't need a story to be cookie cutter. I don't need it to be packaged that way. I just, I, I want a good story, but I want it to, and that's not to say good stories can't be told in six parts, but don't force, don't force the story to fit the package. Just tell the story. Yeah. And unfortunately 
for the the new reader, not all of the serials begin in 2174. So aside from the dread, you're going to come into some serials that have been, you know, going for at least four to, in in some cases, 10 chapters. So you'll get a feel of what, like there are some beginning stories, but they're very, very few. Like in 2175, there's a a series called Survival Geeks, and uh, it's called Crisis of Infinite Nerds, part one. That's a rarity. Very, very few 2000 AD issues begin with all first chapters of a serial. They're, 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 they stagger them. But they're, like I said, there are some. Nonetheless, you'll get a feel for the kind of stories that appear in 2000 AD should you decide to stick with the, you know, the magazine. It, I think it's great stuff. It is. Yep. And like I said, they do digital subscriptions too. So yes. you can get it shunted to your your viewing device of choice every week should you decide to do so. Um, the so continuing the trend of of, of wrapping up um, stories, making it to their conclusion. Um, the, the first was the. Um, and this just will just be quick so I can get to the other one. But um, I finished the Batman Beyond arc with uh, the Batwoman storyline after Terry lost his memory. Um, and there was the whole uh, fight with Blight. And we found out who Batwoman actually is. It's not 10 from the Royal Flesh Gang. It's not Barbara Gordon. Um, I... Uh, don't want to spoil it but it, it's it was pretty i don't actually i don't know if the character was introduced really before this story so it could have just been one of those hey that's cool or they brought her back or but whatever but i thought it was neat and uh, apparently um in an upcoming arc there um damien is is going to show up but um there's uh it looks like the next the next chapter um or the next arc whenever that decides to start shipping, well, um, they'll have to make a decision as to who's actually going to wear the suit, if it's going to be uh, Batwoman or or Batman. But I finally, as I was putting things in order and, and organizing stuff, um, I finally finished the priest-written Deathstroke um, that wrapped up with the 50th issue. Um, and in typical priest fashion, everything that, uh, he had been setting up since the first issue. Um, it came to pass things that uh, you may have um, thought didn't. If, if it's in a priest book, really, you shouldn't say. I don't think that would have meant anything or or uh, turned into a big deal. If if it's it's like what Vince always says about the gun. If 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 priest is going to put it in a book, chances are it's going to um, come into play or be um, be referred to at a later date. But he, I, I think this um, is it. My is it a definitive version of Deathstroke? I don't. No, I don't think I could say that. It's it's um, it's a solid story. There's a little bit of um, he 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 kind of. Uh, Tickles my fancy a little bit in, in in this last arc because there's um there's an alternate 
universe involved where um, that Deathstroke actually in that universe does kill the Titans. Um, but that Deathstroke through, um, through some shenanigans on this earth ends up coming to this earth. And what's weird is that some of the people, and he looks a little different, he looks older, kind of a more scarred Frank Castle than, than Slade Wilson. But um, he um, he kind of wants to take over. He, he wants to be the Deathstroke in, in this universe. And uh, it's convenient because at this point, this happened right after uh, Slade Wilson was killed in the previous arc. And um, and so this guy was just going to be able to slide in and fill that void quite easily. But that's also around a time when Luthor um, gifted Jericho with abilities that were originally intended for Slade, but with Slade out of the picture, um, Jericho took them uh, because the alternative that, that Luther offered um, wasn't going to sit well with, with Joseph. So um, he kind of uh, manipulated, he kind of turned into a little bit of a villain, but it's, I, I, I appreciated the way priest wrapped it all up. The art pretty much from start to finish it, through all 50 issues. Um, I, we, we, we had some Bennett art. We had some uh, ink by Morales. We had some, uh, some, some, um, uh, Fernando Pissarin. We've had, um, there, there, there have been some, some solid create uh, artistic teams on the book. So, so the look was consistent throughout all, all 50 issues. I wasn't in love with, um, the crossovers with the Titan stuff. It, 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 detracted a bit for me um but the annual by um dennis cohen and 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 bill sinkevich was gorgeous but overall it was a a um an entertaining ride i look forward to where the character will show up next because it ends the the issue ends um not um not expected the way it th- there was a bit of a family moment and and that startled me somewhat it 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 didn't take me out of the story but it, it was it was definitely a surprise because as much as yes Slade's ex blames him for um Joseph being mute and uh and I'm sure for the death of Grant, but as Slade may love his children, but I never saw Slade as a family man. And, and the last issue, um, kind of paints a picture where, where that could be, where, where he ends up. And then something happens where, um, that may not necessarily be true. It's very, it's open-ended. So you can, um, whoever's going to write the character, next or wherever the character is going to go next it's it's very easy to um take the ball and and run with it but uh i think that it was a he he definitely kept his run it was uh he didn't it, it, everything he put from from the beginning um as far as i could tell he wrapped up so so there's no um 
it's it's not uh, like Power Man and Iron Fist or um, maybe Quantum and Woody or the Ray or things like that, where it's like, okay, well, I, he, or, or Justice League Task Force, things where he, he wanted, where Priest was going to write a story, or he had, or he had a plan, and he knew where it was going, uh, and, and whether it was sales, or editorial, or for whatever reason, he couldn't finish the story he started, that, that wasn't, that wasn't the case there, it looked like he was able to, um, do everything he wanted to do with the character, with the characters, um, and yeah, I, uh, some of it, I think, would actually some of some of what the characters went through um, mattered, and and there were actual um, there was fallout, and and I think even when you had appearances, and yeah, Batman shows up, but he also took on Superman and and all of the characters because it's Priest. He, he nobody sounded out of sorts. Um, it was uh, it was yeah, it was it was really entertaining ride it wasn't um like i said it wasn't my it's it's deathstroke well pretty much anything from the titans that that started with wolfman and perez it's it's kind of on a pedestal for me so it's very hard for me to kind of judge anything on its own when compared to what they started but uh this was a this was a good time. I'll 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 leave it at that. So yeah, finally finally got to finish Deathstroke and I'm 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 kinda kicking myself that I have waited these past few months after it had already wrapped up and it took me so long to um to get the issues out from um because I do I, I have I still have the stacks from when DCBS sends the box. I, I, I take off the rubber band, take off the wrap, take off the rubber band, I and I stack them and then I eventually get around to organizing them. And um, and I finally pieced together the last few issues of Deathstroke. So I, I, I wish I read them when they showed up. Um, so I'm kicking myself for waiting this long, but I'm I'm glad I um, got I'm fi- I, I finally got to it, and I'm glad I was I was satisfied with with where Priest took the character and, and and the story he was telling. Well, that's good to hear that he did justice to a character that you like. Wish I could say the same thing. For, Why? For who? his vampirella is horrible. Oh yeah, no, oh, I, see, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't, no, I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, we can bring it up, but no, we can. But yeah. I, I pretend it doesn't exist. I, yeah, it's just I don't even. I don't know what he's, what he's because he's still doing his, he's still doing his priest stuff with like he's, yeah. It, there, there are certain writers like if you, we, we, we know like folks like Lemire can do it. We obviously know, you know, folks like Ellis has a has a tell, but you know that more and and there are some writers who who actually can tell different types of stories or or you they're not their voice isn't so so heavy their thumbprint isn't on every page but but priest with the with the black panels and the white type and there's just there are priest's style i don't think works not 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 necessarily for every story but definitely not for every character and i i it, it wasn't even when it was announced i thought it was neat but I, I never saw it as a good fit. And there's a spinoff book coming out from it too. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. No. But um, what I have read of his Deathstroke was very good. I was going to say Daft's got it over me because I've bought every issue and I'm probably like 15 issues behind. Like yeah. Yeah. But not for lack of enjoyment. It's just sitting there. So. Right. No, he did a good job with it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. Hey. 
we thank you for being here so much. We uh, implore you, if you enjoyed any of this, um, go to the uh, Twitter and the Reddit and the, the Instagram and the, what else, what's the other thing? Oh, Facebook. Can't forget about the Facebook because uh, there's more of this over there. And if you're in the market for comic books, especially now, go to InStockTrades.com. That is the uh, companion company to our um, much-talked-about uh, sponsor, Discount Comic Book Service. And I have a list of specials here. Where did they go? It's the Dark Horse Month course, Barbalian Red Planet from the Black Hammer Universe, Lady Baltimore number one of five, and You Look Like Death, Tales from the Umbrella Academy number one of six. All of them are a buck ninety-nine apiece. We'll see how that pans out. DCBService.com. Now, you did mention that next week's book of the month will require some brain power, but did you tell everybody what it is? I didn't. I have to bring up the list. Do you have the list? I can have the list. Um, do you want... Oh, crap. Tell me to log in, really? Yeah, because I'm in it. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, well, it's going to take some time to find the books, book of the month. But long story short, our bo- this thing loads so freaking slow. It is the woat. It is. It is the woat. I, I totally agree with you. Um, our book of the month is um, Tales from the... Uh, bah, 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 bah. Uh, no, it's the... <laughs> it's, wait, no, I got it. I got it. I got it's it. the Trigon Empire book. Yes, but it's it's all that it's it's yeah. oddly enough from Rebellion. Go figure. There we go. April's book of the month, Vince B. Style. Your choices. God, fuck this website. It is. We're... Sorry. <laughs> uh, do you want to know what the percentages? You just want the list. Ow! Shoot it all. Shoot okay. your wad. We have uh, getting zero votes. Atomic Empire. By uh, IDW, published by IDW. It's odd because that's a beautiful book. But that's okay. Uh, Coming in with uh, 6%. Actually, there's a couple 6%. uh, The Complete, The Star is My Destination. (laughs) Uh, Another 6% is The Ethernaut. Ghost Tree came in with 9%. Wow. Uh, This... I was, I was happy to see, this is actually, this is in third place, and I'm glad that I actually have it right here. I was, it, I, we didn't get to it tonight, but, and we will talk about it because um, we've all read it, but at 14% is Lupus. Uh, 4%, the Perry Bible Fellowship Almanac. Ack, ack, ack. Uh, 4% is PTSD. 3%, Robert Silverberg's Colonies, Volume 1. Uh, fourth place, ten percent with the spirit and eightieth anniversary celebration. In second place was Stephen King's Creep Show with twenty percent of the votes, and with twenty three percent of the votes in first place, your winner and our book of the month, which will be discussed next week, is the Rise and Fall of the Trigon Empire, Volume One. Yeah, word. I'm excited. I know nothing about it. I don't even going to be complete greenfield for me. Super dense, but that's that's good. It's I mean, it, it may be good. Um, yeah, I really love a thick and meaty sci-fi story. 
uh, Frank well, Herbert. When you say dense, you mean like verbose, or do you mean? I mean dune dense, and, uh, and it's, it's it's very it's, verbose, yeah. and it mm. clocks in at, at close to three hundred pages. Yeah. Okay. It's gonna be a busy weekend. <laughs> it's gonna take a long time to read. Mm. So uh, kudos to Depp for flying that flag early because you're gonna need time to read it. But it yeah, will be not. worth your time. <laughs> you probably won't have a bonus episode next week because oh no, this for Thursday two two part <laughs> book of the month. <laughs> oh shit, <laughs> A and B. Uh, no, it moves around pretty well. Yeah, it's good. No, it looks absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, Bellamy's. Whew. I have seen some of these panels before, though. I'm sure of it. Nice. So yeah, that's our book of the month: the rise and fall of the Trigon Empire. It's good, good, good stuff. In your travels, this is going to be the weirdest in your travels of all time because I can't, I can recommend what I'm going to tell you uh, about, but it's, it's the beginning of a, what I want to make a, a series of reports here because I have the hardcover 2080 annuals from 1981 to 1991. And I never talked about them. I also have 1979, but I can't say I have 79 and 81. You know what I mean? I'm missing 1980. But anyway, um, and I want to talk about them because these annuals are great. But the one I have in my hand, 2080 annual 1981, is not representative of what of the heights that are to come like i think 80 to 90 is golden age 2080 before dc opened up their checkbooks and wooed all of the high caliber talent from 2080 over to our side of the water 2080 was smoking hot um there was a lot of high-powered creators working on stuff but this is only the beginning of it there's a double-page illustration by Brendan McCarthy that is worth the price of admission on its own. It's um, it's a text piece. This, this this is another reason why I can't really sing the praises of this uh, volume because it's very text-heavy. There's a lot of prose pieces in here, and and I don't know if you're familiar with the 2080 annuals, but what you'll get is you'll get pinups, and for some reason there's a cross. There's a, a a diagram of the space shuttle in this one. And they mark out exactly what the components of the space shuttle is. I'm thinking somewhere at Fleetway or, or, or Rebellion, they had another reason to publish a space shuttle uh, poster or diagram. And they said, ah, what the hell? We'll throw it in the 2080. I don't know why it's here, but whatever. And, and there's text pieces, Strontium Dog story, um, there's a, a Volgon war for the ABC warriors, but long story short, this one is not representative of, of just how good the, uh, 2000 AD annuals can get, but I wanted to start at the beginning of my run. So I'll go out saying there's a great story in here and it's one of the, uh, Tharg's future shocks, but it may bite a little bit close to the bone right now. It's called uh, The Mumps from Beyond the Moon. And the uh, Tharg comes in saying, you know, your readers are a bunch of pain in the ass uh, because you've been bitching that 
my future shocks don't end on a positive note. So here you go. Suck it. Here's one that ends on a positive note. And it turns out that there's a uh, a pandemic facing the world. Um, people are succumbing to giant weeping pustulant sores all over their body. And um, they send Bob back to 1980 because they've pinpointed the time as the perfect position from which to unleash this um the savior so he goes back uh, goes back in in time and he gets to 1980 and for some reason he you know he's walking around uh london and he comes across a news agent and he sees all these copies of 2000 ad for sale and he's like whoa this stuff's really cool. I'm going to take a bunch of these back to the future with me. So he brings them back to his little time machine slash spaceship. And he's he's kind of drowsy, you know. And and they radio him and they're like, Bob, put the, the, uh, the, the program in the computer right now that's going to save everybody. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. And he sticks a copy of 2000 AD in the computer. And he's like, what the hell am I doing? And he pulls it out, but he only gets half of it out. So he, he puts the gene modification program in the, the computer, goes back to the future, and he's looking around. He's like, whoa, everything's okay. Everything's looks on the up and up. People look happy and, happy and healthy, and all right, I, I guess what I did worked. And he gets out of his ship, and everybody on the planet resembles Thark. Bum, 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 that's the end. So, uh, a little neat O. Henry moment. Um, have you guys never read any Tharg's Future Shocks? Zero. Ugh. Man. I know, it's a struggle. It is a struggle. But anyway, it was written by um, someone named Staccato, which could have been anyone in the 2000 AD bullpen, but it was uh, drawn by Robert Smith, or Robin Smith. And it's pretty funny. It, it's Again, it's it's pretty much typical of the Future Future Shocks stories but um there's dread in here and i don't want to uh belabor the point it's it's not a great um 2080 annual like later on dave gibbons comes on and he draws the robusters like it gets really good like extremely good um brian talbot comes in after a while like high-powered creators but 1981 is just the beginning so maybe next week or whenever i'm gonna do 1982 and you're gonna see just how good these things can get. 2080, annual 1981. Damn. Yep. Uh, speaking of things I finally finished, I, um, this would be Criminal by uh, Edward Baker and Sean Phillips. I um, read the last three chapters of Cruel Summer. Cruel Summer. And uh, it is rough. And it has made me want to dig up the previous volumes out of the boxes. Um, because this is a fucked up family. And it's a bunch of characters that we've been introduced to a long time ago. And um, it's not so much that I want to get reacquainted with them. But uh, I want to... There are things that were said um, and implied, and a lot of what they're doing is 
you need to rely on on your memory of of past events um even though they're kind of sort of in the future based on this story but yeah it's it's i i want to reread it i i, I want to um revisit this world um as as jury is and and depressed it may be but um yeah they uh this is the end of this particular volume after uh after pulp the next series will start uh and according to the back matter it says it will be a monthly series as well uh but this was the longest volume of criminal longest running story um with the 12 issues in this particular volume that, that, that they've done to date. Uh, but yeah, um, this last chapter was, um, was a punch to the gut and, and, and it kicked to the face shot to the head. It was, it, this was not, um, for the faint of heart. And yeah, there, there's still, there may still be some questions when this is over because the, the, the lawless family and, and, and their friends, um, they're not, they may be blunt, but they don't, um, necessarily wear their hearts in their sleeves. They're not, they're, they're, they're not showing you everything they have to offer a lot of it. They're, they're very, um, they keep to themselves. They're, they're, they're close lipped. They don't, um, you're not you're getting a fantastic story but you're not getting the whole story i'll 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 say because um it's it's a crime story it's 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 uh, like modern day noir it, it's you're not going to get everything you're not gonna get everything answered i don't feel and um and and that's fine and it's fitting and it looks absolutely amazing um it's uh, criminal is a a series, a bunch of series that um, I think everyone should read. You may not. I, I think there are enough sort of kind of variations in the different chapters and the different arcs that um, everyone will have a favorite. Uh, whether it's. Um, whether it's coward or or um, or any of the later ones, whether it's the Archie um, takeoff, it's there's there's criminals always been a a, a solid, um, well delivered and and well crafted event, and and um, it didn't stop with this with this arc. They, they uh, Ed promised it would. Um, go out with a bang and, and uh, any questions you may have had from the beginning. Um, some of them will be answered here. Eddie was right, but uh, it was, um, it's not necessarily a happy story, but it's a, um, it's a damn good story. So uh, in your travels, when um, if you, if you can't get these issues, when this particular arc is collected, do yourself a favor and, um, and get on it. Now that is a resounding recommendation, my friend. Props to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, in your travels, um, want to talk about uh, Dragon Hoops? My first second. It is uh, written and drawn by Jean Luen Yang. Um, I think it's fair to say that uh, 
Gene is 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 one of the uh, most well regarded graphic novelists in the world right now. Um, he broke onto the scene probably about a decade longer, longer than a decade ago, uh, with American Born Chinese. Uh, more recently, um, six, seven, eight years ago, uh, he put out Boxers and Saints, which I gushed about at the time. That was also my first second. Uh, for those that don't remember, that was um, quite an accomplishment. He wrote two graphic novels, uh, both about the Boxer Uprising, and they were uh, in- interlinked. They were two independent graphic novels about the exact same time during the Boxer Rebellion. And then at the end of each, they the two main characters of the two graphic novels intertwine. Uh, a, a startling accomplishment. And um, more recently, he made a transition into the superhero world. He uh, wrote Superman, and then that morphed into doing uh, new Super Dash Man, which was the uh, Chinese Superman, uh, Kong yep. Keenan. Um, and then, uh, currently he's at DC writing the terrifics. He replaced, uh, he took over for Jeff uh, Lemire after, uh, Jeff left after issue 14 and he's been doing a great job. I'm still reading the terrifics. I know I don't talk about it much, but that's just because we don't have enough time to talk about everything, but I think he's doing a great job. Um, but I absolutely think boxers and saints is a ridiculous triumph of, uh, of, of work. Um, and then, and then this year, uh, he received uh, a MacArthur fellowship, which, uh, if you don't know, that is like the craziest award. It's basically a genius grant. Um, there's a foundation um, and they award uh, fellowships to people from any field. It can be anything they feel is worthy. And it's just based on uh, extraordinary achievements. And the reward is for people. And I'm going to quote from this from the fellowship's website. Uh, it's a rather an investment in a per- it's a, not a reward for past accomplishment, but rather an investment in a person's originality, insight and potential. And check this out. You get six hundred twenty five grand, like no strings attached to win this fellowship. You can't nominate yourself. Nobody can nominate you. It's it's all a basically a, it's like I guess it's like a, like an Eisner Award and a Nobel Prize and a Pulitzer on steroids, they just this committee just looks for greatness uh, around the world, and they pick people of their own volition, and they throw them six hundred twenty-five grand. <laughs> so, um, but Gene became the third graphic novelist in the history of the award um, to receive a uh, a fellowship, and uh, it's been uh, in existence since since the early eighties. So, I think that speaks to uh, to the quality of his work and, and how widely recognized he is outside of the direct market. But that said. Um, Dragon Hoops is fascinating because I bought it, I, I ordered it uh, through uh, previews purely on the fact that it was first, second, having a new graphic novel from 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 uh, from Gene. I just figured uh, he's never steered me wrong, so I, I would I would gobble this up regardless of what it was. But um, it, it's interesting because Gene is, uh, he's exactly my age, and, and he's a self-professed super nerd. Um, parents were engineers, teachers, and uh, he was uh, a computer science teacher at Bishop O'Dowd High School in California for um, a long time. And he was also doing a lot of his uh, self-published work um, while he was teaching at Bishop O'Dowd. And for those that maybe aren't familiar, Bishop O'Dowd is a basketball, a high school basketball powerhouse. Um, you know, just one of those, those nationally renowned high school basketball programs. 
Um, Gene, even though he taught at the school for years, knew nothing about sports. He's not a sports ball person. Um, never really paid attention to it. And after he wrapped up his prior graphic novel, he was looking for inspiration for what to write about next and uh, literally fell into this. Like it was, he was coming back to the school for the, for the school year. And there was tremendous hype because this was a year where um, after some narrow misses, uh, Bishop O'Dowd was considered uh, one of the prohibitive favorites to win the California state high school title that year. And he just got to thinking like, I'm, I'm at the school and one of the things that defines our school is something I know nothing about. So let me start looking into it. And he just started interviewing the coach and the players. And next thing you know, and I think this took three or four years for him to finish, uh, he comes out with this book, which is uh, called Dragon Hoops. It's it's uh, nearly 450 pages. Uh, it is a young ad- – all of his books are young adult. I should mention that. Um, it's a young adult book, and it's um, – the central narrative is is essentially the season long quest of the Bishop O'Dowd Dragons to win this state championship, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let you all know if if they won or not. Um, but what's remarkable and why I think this is a special book and and befitting of of Gene's storied career is that um, he finds a way to take a subject that he doesn't have much interest in, doesn't know anything about, um, and and ends up just putting tons of chapters into the story that are adjunct to it that just really bring the whole thing to life. Uh, and it ends up being, in many ways, um, both an examination of basketball's history, um, but also the power of basketball as a cultural unifier. Because basketball, believe it or not, is a sport that is uh, – I mean, I'm going to put soccer to the side because soccer is certainly the the globe sport. We in our country aren't very into soccer, but but everyone else is. But absent soccer, it's actually the second most popular sport in terms of the most amount of people that are into it. And um, Gene really, I think, exhibits that in this book. I mean, it's uh, it it is there are chapters where you're looking at there's a a, there's an Islamic player that comes to play. and, and, And it's really becomes an examination of. Of, of he and his family's uh, dealing with um, racism and bigotry, even though they're living in a liberal part of California. Um, there's a story about a player who immigrates from sub-Saharan Africa to come to play basketball because he's, he's not, he's a big kid. He gets recruited uh, and his adjustments to American culture. Um, there's uh, a story about the white kid on the team, you know, that, that like is sort of, you know, and, and his adjustments and, um, there's two stars on the team and, and a lot of the stories about their lives. And, uh, and he does a great job of portraying them as uh, Felix and Oscar, the yin and the yang. They're both highly recruited, nationally recruited prospective college pro level talents. And he contrasts their, uh, their, he contrasts them against one another, They're best friends and the two best players. But one is a small guard. One is a giant, a big man. One is uh, glitz and glamour. One is all business. One is from a relatively stable home. One is not. Uh, and he, he interviews these, but not in like a predictable or um, like a stereotypical demeanor. He, he makes you feel for these people. He makes you feel like you know all these kids. Um, he does a great job explaining the teacher's journey, who the teacher was a star player and he got hurt, ends up coming back to the school, um, replacing a venerable uh, white coach who was beloved 
at the school for decades. And then he's a, he's a, he's a, uh, this new coach is a man of color. And he talks about that. And, um, then he interviews things like the history of basketball. I mean, he has a chapter about Dr. James Naismith who founded, who created the, who actually created the game of basketball back in the 1800s. Uh, there's stories about the Harlem Globetrotters and, and, and they're dealing with, with racism back in the forties. There's, uh, a great anecdote about how basketball has become so important in China with Yao Ming. And uh, it's just all these, it's, it just becomes this fascinating retrospective where, you know, you'll get a little bit of the slice of life as they win a few games or maybe have a loss that they weren't expecting and the ups and downs of that, the, almost like the high school soap opera drama. And then you'll get this chapter about the history of basketball in China. And then you'll get some more. And then you get a, a story about Gene and his wife and how Gene is freaking out because as he's trying to do this graphic novel, and teach. He's also being pitched by DC to do Superman, and he's debating with his wife: Should I, should I quit teaching? You know, can we afford that? Should I, should I really do? I really want to write Superman, or do I just want to do my own stuff? Like, it's just this. And 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 he takes all of these disparate ideas and he pulls them together into this book that reads super fast. I mean, for 450 pages, it was like one sitting, maybe one and a half sittings that I read through this whole thing, and uh, it's just great. And I'm not surprised because I think Gene is an incredible storyteller, but. Um, this is, this is a very intimate personal book, um, as was American Born Chinese, but, uh, but, but certainly a big departure from Boxers and Saints, which is the thing I, I, I'm most familiar with of his. Um, and I thought it was lovely. I really did. Um, you don't have to at all be a fan of basketball or sports to enjoy this. In fact, I think it's probably the point, um, because Gene wasn't, I mean, that's, that's really the whole point is Gene's trying to examine this sport and the idea of of camaraderie and culture and, and, and the worship we put behind sports from someone who doesn't get that and isn't wired that way, even though he's a, an adult. Um, and, uh, while I won't tell you what happens with the team, I will tell you that, uh, you very much get the sense that Gene went from thinking like, I don't get this whole sports ball thing while you all idolize these people to being totally engrossed in it because of the humanistic side of the people involved in the quest. Um, and he very much becomes a huge fan and, and a rooting interest for them. And, uh, starts going on road trips with them. And it's, it's, it's just, it was a lot of fun. You really feel like you're there with him. Um, if, if any of you listening aren't familiar with Gene's other work as a cartoonist, cause he does write for DC, but he doesn't draw for them. Um, it's a very, it's a very, um, simple style. It's really not that different, frankly, visually from like what you'd see in a Randy Telgemeier book. Um, you know, G- Gene isn't trying to sort of be Mobius on the page. Um, he's very much putting lines on the page to convey the, um, the literal story he's telling. And, um, I think he does a very good, better than good job of conveying emotion, uh, because anytime you're doing slice of life, there's a lot of talking heads and, um, he finds a way to, to make them compelling by, uh, using different camera angles and, and different visual cues that around them to, to just, you know, to not, lull you into a state of, of, uh, repetitiveness. And, um, I, I think he's a fantastic storyteller and cartoonist. And one, I don't think it's interesting. Like I think to win a MacArthur, he's obviously reached a level of accolade and recognition out in the broader world that few comic creators ever reach, but yet within this, uh, direct market, uh, comics world that we inhabit for the most part, I feel like he's still pretty much unknown, not unknown, but, but considered a, a tertiary player because he hasn't done much superhero work, but, uh, that, that would be a damn shame. Um, so if you haven't heeded my prior, um, encouragements over the years to try his stuff, 
maybe this is the time you will. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's by first second again. It's called Dragon Hoops, and um, it's uh, it's terrific. And it is a YA book, so I know a lot of you are always looking for YA stuff, all ages stuff that you can share with your your kids, and uh, this definitely fits that. So give it a whirl. That's awesome. That is awesome. And Gene uh, will be writing the. Um Shang-Chi miniseries whenever that. That's right. Yes, I actually mentioned that in my video. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, that's yeah, right. same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, we got any thank yous? Oh, we do. Yes, we, we do. do. Um, I think we all have the same one, so I'll save that for one of you two, and I'll give the one I think based on a little pregame talk that you didn't mention, which is uh, um, I'm just going to open up the, the sheet here. Um. So I am nowhere near the gamer that uh, Vince is. Was that a big sigh, Vince? You signed? No, 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 no. I think you're signing. Hey, no, it was good. I think you are. <laughs> um, but uh, but Chris Revikant is longtime listener, longtime friend. Uh, he is uh, the engine behind our C2E2 hangouts. When we when we make our way to C2E2 every every couple years, he's always the one that organizes the get together. Um, He's a huge comic nerd, a fan of uh, jam pieces like me, and um, he shares an incredible passion for Transformers along with Vince. Yay. So he sent me a little care package and said that uh, as a fan of Transformers, uh, he thinks I would appreciate uh, the Transformers TCG, the card game, which is uh, created by the makers of Magic, as I'm sure many of you know. And so he sent me uh, a starter set uh and then a siege war of cybertron booster pack and a uh soundwave um minifigure uh which is super awesome can't wait to open that up and he told me that um the deck he sent me i guess is built around oh there's another pack uh taped to it so there's two packs um is built around astro train so uh yeah, so he, I guess, uh, Vince, you, you are, I, I can't imagine you not being aware and a player of this game since you're both a Transformers fan and a Magic fan. One, but not both. I'm aware of the game. I have some of the cards, but I've never played it. Uh, it just curious, is there a reason why? I play one game. So it's, it's just Magic for you? Yeah, yeah, that's more than. Well, what enough. about all the games you're always talking about on the Slack? Like, well, that's different. I mean, RPGs. The figurine games are different? Yes, because in many cases, all you have to do is buy one thing to play the game. Like, we bought Blackstone Fortress to play that game. You don't have to buy a ton of different things. I can't get involved with another card game because I play Magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you know how it is. There, there's so many cards to, to have and to buy and to get into the, the, the Transformers game. It would just be another expense that... I see, yeah, I don't, I don't really need. So um, I do have, like I said, they gave you packs with the IDW one issue. They gave you a couple packs. Um, I've picked up packs here and there. I bought a deck at, uh, um, what is it, uh, Target. But for the most part, I, I like the cards, but I just I can't get involved with another card game. Well, I don't have the Wood Bank account. So... Uh, um, well, either way, I think it was super cool of Chris and oh, yeah. uh, to whatever extent 
I don't know anyone else who plays these card games, but uh, but uh, yeah, maybe I'll uh, pick up another pack so me and the kiddos can uh, give it a try. I don't know. I have read and heard good things. Nice. And the oversized cards are beautiful. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Chris. Yes. That's awesome. Go, Dap. Why don't you all want to speak on this other one? Uh, this was awesome because this was a complete surprise. Um, I didn't know Jefferson had... I, I gave Jefferson all of it. Nice. Uh, good old friend. Old in the sense that um, he's been with us since the bullpen bulletin days. Not age-wise. That's rude. Uh, Jefferson Workman uh, out on the other side of the country. I opened up the mailbox today, found a puffed envelope uh, with an awesome handwritten uh address to me then that old Spidey Super Stories font um, which looked awesome and then I opened it and read the card first and um, this is a uh, it's it's from the Avengers Paint by Numbers kit uh, Jefferson threw out the color key uh, and he created uh, he, he painted this particular uh, image um in the style of uh, the color palette of the third eye Marvel posters from the early seventies. So um, he apologized for them not having a Spider-Man in the package, but this Captain America one is an absolute uh, beauty. And, um, and yeah, it is Captain America giving a nice big old left hand wallop to uh, the red skull. And it looks absolutely amazing. I love the colors on it. I, I have to find a spot where I can hang it here and uh, and and look at it uh, whenever I can, but it is it is absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Jefferson. Dude is uh, dude is a gem, and I, I eventually one of these days we will meet. It, it's it's that simple. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. I mean, we when when during the Bolton Bolton days, he sent the um, uh, the the Hulk. Um, he, he compiled a, a CD of old tracks um there's uh, every once in a while i mean and i we, we follow him on on instagram and and, and he's a barber these days oh bar well was uh, i'm sure he still is once this all passes but um yeah it was just i mean i i i think of how long we've been podcasting and uh and and he's pretty much been a constant and and the posts he, he puts on the facebook group um always bring a smile to my face i just the, the the dude's just dude's fantastic but what um what did he paint for you guys i got a hulk and i'm nice. i'm guessing due to jason's postal quarantine that he hasn't opened his yet depends on when he got it because i got mine today uh i broke the quarantine for this <laughs> because we're recording because we're recording so i i figured all right um i got a dope ass uh thor versus the destroyer that's rad so thank you jefferson for all that i mean it was it's he did awesome. a really great job i i it, the color scheme the color schemes are amazing yes yeah yep. good stuff all right, everybody. Hey, thank you very much for being here with us. If would you like to come back next time, we'd be glad to have you sooner than later. I don't know when we're going to do in the next one, but it's it's coming soon. And uh, in the meantime, say goodnight.
it's my luck. The closest thing I have to me is a kneaded eraser, something that will make <laughs> no sound at all. Yes. David. Uh, good night. I have a bunch of things next to me, but nothing that would make sense well, to... You're not supposed to make the sounds. Well, I don't have a needed eraser. David, I needed eraser to... Um... See, he, he took a quick glance at his chronograph... Oh which God, said, you better do it now. Oh, yeah. And he said it, yes. and he goes, it's what it was. <laughs> Seriously, though, people, come back next time, because we love you. We couldn't do this without you. And if you weren't here, we would miss you. Uh, stay healthy, stay safe, hug your loved ones, and uh, we'll be back. Say goodnight, boys. Good night, boys. Be good, y'all. <laughs>